Hello, everybody, and welcome back to season eight of Sequelizers. I am your host, as always, Jack Chambers, and joining me, also as always, it's Matt Stockton. This podcast is automatic. It's systematic. It's hydromatic. Why it sequelizes? <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think that might be one of the most revealing quotes you've ever done. Because I think quite a lot of people will clock onto what that is. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. Okay. And of course, joining Matt and I, as always, it's Tim Matum. Yeah? Well, you want to hear my final word, Mr. Push Everyone Around Stogden? You may be able to bully some of the chicks in this school, but this chick has been bullied by one Matt Stogden for the last time. I may not be the classiest chick in this school, but I'm the best you're ever going to get. So take it or leave it. That's when Tim <laughs> left me and I've been fighting again back ever since. I mean, I've obviously married someone else, but Tim's always in my heart. You guys did go to the same high school, so there's a, there's a possibility there somewhere. You never forget your first. That's actually very true. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Well, if you hadn't already guessed, listeners, from those little teasers, we're fixing... I want to say a contentious sequel, a controversial sequel. We will get onto that in a in a moment because there's a lot to talk about comparing the first and the second movies and how uh, maybe a rose tinted nostalgia, shall we say? As uh, as yeah, Matt's putting the middle finger up to everybody in there. It's, uh, that's appropriate. Fuck this film. We'll we'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> we'll get to that. But before we get to all of that, of course, we want to say thank you to our lovely patrons on patreon.com slash sequelizers. If you go there, you can get early access, you can get ad-free episodes, you get exclusive merch, you get bonus content, including outtakes during this main season and full entire bonus episodes during the interseason as well. Loads of lovely bonus stuff, depending on what different tier you'd like to choose. Everything from as little as £3 all the way up to the executive producer tiers right at the top. And this week's executive producers are... Mike Salvia. Andrew Steen. Josh Van der Sluice. Jonathan Firth Clark. Zenos. And Josh Miles. Thank you, as always, for your support, gentlemen. We very much appreciate it. Those are executive producers, and in fact, some of them have gotten to pick films for us to sequelize this season. And in fact, next week's episode is an executive producer pick. And if you've worked out, if you've been listening the whole season, maybe you can work out whose pick it is. Just do a bit of, uh, you know, uh, what's the phrase? Elimin eliminating the previous <laughs> choices from the rest. Thank you, Tim. Deduction, yes. From the rest of the season and work it out from there. And if you'd like to get a shout out or maybe in the future be able to pick an episode for us to sequelize, pick a particular film. Spoiler alert, we've already got our picks in for the interseason and we're starting getting picks for season nine as well. These guys are very well planned ahead of time. If you'd like to join them, you go to patreon.com slash sequelizers. And if you not quite able to get up to the higher tiers, get a shout out. You can, in fact, vote on some episodes as well, whether that's interseason stuff, 
whether that's upcoming future season stuff. And in fact, the interseason vote is open as we speak. So get your votes in, get deciding what we're going to be discussing in an upcoming interseason episode. And then we'll do that again for season nine. And then the next interseason, forever and ever and ever. Come and join us. It's great. Until the cinemas fall into the sun. <laughs> Which may happen quicker than we'd like to admit, because they're fucked right now. <laughs> anyway, with all the uh, the initial rigmarole out of the way, let's talk about Greece 2, shall we, gentlemen? Because, good lord, I think this has been on the docket since day one. This is one of the ones that has been on the master list of terrible sequels since we met up in that pub before we even recorded an episode and i think matt created a google doc whatever it was and literally just started taking notes and grease 2 was pretty fucking high on that list and we're finally here i know we've even talked about doing it in previous seasons recently and we were like eh, now nah, we'll do it later on i think it was supposed to be in last the, the like season seven before and, and a few other ones before and we we're like keep pushing it back keep pushing it back we're finally here to discuss Grease 2. It's it's up there in terms of notoriety because the first one is so popular and was such a big hit. And then this one came along fairly quickly afterwards and was just really, really bad. It's just really bad. Um, and I have mixed feelings about the original Grease, as I'm sure we'll get into. But And I had not seen this one. And I was like, oh, I was kind of... I'd, I did a Jack. I, I rewatched them both on the same day or, or watched slash rewatched. And I watched Greece and I was like, oh man, I have a lot of complex feelings about Greece. Like there's the bits of it that's strong, bits of it that's really weak. It's it's really kind of odd in, in, in terms of the way it's structured as a musical in a lot of ways, all this kind of stuff. Mm, interesting. And then I watched Greece too and I was like, oh wow, this is a big pile of shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I I'm... I'm actually quite curious here because okay, we we are going to touch upon uh, our opinions of obviously musicals in general because I think that a lot of that comes down to how people perceive this movie because some people don't like musicals. We won't get into it too much because maybe in a future episode we'll be talking about musicals and we'll go into more detail. But there are people who will just say, "Oh, have you seen Greece?" and have a very strong opinion either way, either because they've seen it a thousand fucking times and been in a sort of high school rendition of it or you know a local theater kind of thing and <laughs> love it inside out and you know watch it all the time with their fucking parents or whatever it is um and other people who say i fucking hate that movie because i hate musicals or i fucking hate that movie because i don't like it i'm very much of the camp of i dislike greece i think it is literally fine i think it is saved by the fact the songs are really fucking good but it's a strange one. We talk about this thing quite frequently about the 30-year cycle of nostalgia and all that sort of stuff about the idea that, you know, oh, Back to the Future, oh, it's such an 80s film. Not if you're watching it. It's a 50s movie, you idiot. Because it's all about how the 80s suck and the 50s was amazing. Let's go back to the 80s. 50s, was, everything was so good. This is 1978 and it's just starting that 50s nostalgia. It's starting that pump of like, oh, you remember when it was like, you know, so much better in the 50s, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and... I, I, I usually like a retrospective of the 50s to be something like LA Confidential. I like <laughs> it to be grim yeah. and dark and, and show it for the horror fucking post-war PTSD. Let's not actually talk about it nightmare that it was. I find that really interesting, the rise of the Cold War and stuff. That's cool. That's really interesting. This whole, like, it was the best time to be a teenager, man. It's like, fuck you. Um, and Greece is one of the sort of uh, the standouts of that. 
there are a lot of pros to it. I think there's a lot of strong elements in terms of it being a film. Sure, fine. But I don't get on with it and I would never actively choose to watch it. Here's one for you. I don't own it on DVD. Oh my Holy God. Shit. What? Yep. I own a ton of stuff. I don't own that. You own most of the terrible sequels that we've <laughs> talked about on this series. Yep. Not this season. In yep. the history of, in the four year history of sequelizers so far, you own mm-hmm. the majority of them. And every time I go, why the fuck do you own that one, Matt? And then you don't own Greece. I, well, I have yeah. a very important question. I presume you don't own Greece 2 as well. Because if you owned Greece 2 and you didn't own Greece, <laughs> that, that would be monstrously <laughs> fucked up. That would be ridiculous. Um, I will go. Um, you ple- so, you're pleading the fifth, Emma. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, I'm explaining myself. So I don't own Greece 2 on DVD anymore oh wow um, i did though because the only way i could find it to watch it was to buy it on dvd um and then i watched it and i got rid of it <laughs> as fast as possible um because i hadn't seen it. i just when was my moments of like oh there is a grease there's a grease too michelle pfeiffer's in it fucking hell and i decided to, to find a copy and watch it in my in my early 20s and i hated it because I, I don't like grease i despised this I, it made me so well, not angry, just just very tired and very bored, and I didn't give a shit. I don't like it. Didn't then, don't now. I concur. <laughs> However, people on the internet do not fuck them. And and this this is the this is almost the opposite of the Shrek two situation yeah. that we have, where we're quite controversial in saying we don't like Shrek two. Yeah, it's often considered better than the first or just as good as the first one, all that kind of stuff, whatever. However, and we'll get onto this later, you know, as you know, if you've been a long time listener of the show, we'll get onto Rotten Tomatoes scores and all this kind of stuff later on and talk about the, the kind of general consensus for, for Grease 1 comparing it to Grease 2 and all this kind of stuff. Grease 2 was diabolically, it, sorry, it diabolically bombed when it came out originally. The original film had like a five or six million dollar budget and made like three, four hundred million dollars by the end of its run. Massive, incredible success. Bear in mind, this is 1978 when the first one came out as well. That is big fucking money on a tiny, tiny budget. Double the budget for the second movie because, of course, the first one was a cultural fucking phenomenon. So they doubled it. It's a 12 million dollar budget. It made about eleven and a half million dollars at the box office. Yeah. It did. It and. As we always say on this show, the golden rule is, granted, this is modern era. We're talking about early 80s. Grease 2 is 1981, for example. But as a general rule, essentially double your budget by chucking your marketing budget on there as well. So take a $12 million budget, call it 20 conservatively in the early 80s, and that's probably the budget. So this basically lost 7 or $8 million without making any money whatsoever. And... It was not well received by the critics, not particularly well received by audiences, as evidenced by the box office. However, in the last few years, there has been a, and as I hinted at earlier on, probably rose-tinted nostalgia bullshit movement, as we often get with these franchises of like, um, actually, the sequel's really good, and blah, 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 blah. And it's, weirdly enough, something I'd usually be very pro for people see it as a feminist reading and a feminist twist of the first one obviously for those of you who don't know we'll get onto synopses and stuff in a second as well the roles are essentially gender bent so the the tough cool kid is the woman and they're like 
the the Danny and the Sandy are male and female gender swapped essentially in the second one, and people see it as this huge like feminist thing, and they 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 take these little quotes and little snippets of uh, Michelle Pfeiffer's character and be like, yeah, I kiss who I want when I want, and all this kind of stuff, and it's like, I mean, sure for the for nineteen eighty one you could probably argue that is feminist for like, you know, what we were getting in the cinemas at the time. But people are holding up to the candle of like 40 years later and some of the stuff that we talk about now and hopefully, I like to think, how the world has progressed over the last 40 years now, people still fucking love it. And I don't... It's one of those moments where I was reading through it and there's a... Again, we'll link to all this kind of stuff. There is an article in the BBC talking about how it is a cult classic and how it's an underappreciated gem of a sequel. And oh, it's always in the list of worst sequels whenever you see it on BuzzFeed and blah, blah, blah. But actually, it's really good. It's fucking not. It's really fucking not. And it just annoys me that there's this weird, like, 80s nostalgia bullshit for it that seems to be just excusing this garbage, terribly sung, badly acted badly produced fucking movie we are, we are definitely going to come back to this in a, in a future episode which we'll about like nostalgia or something and how it impacts people's memories and minds because it's the same thing behind the whole well actually i didn't like the sequel star wars films therefore the prequel films are brilliant now it's like uh no they're still shit thank you oh no grease 2 is really good because it's a famous message there's a lot of scenes in there that i would actually completely fucking disagree with you on there sir um we'll get to the the actual synopsis but keep saying this we will and it's frustrating because it what, what usually is interpreted as well when i was young and i i thought it was a fun film and i enjoyed it and i'm not a hateful prick and it's like no you were just innocent and you didn't see the things at the time and you thought to yourself that's really strong we do the same thing when we talk about like fucking 90s movies with the, like, like disney movies it's like wow what an empowering female character yeah, kind of. It's it's in the right direction. I get it. I, it's something. We'll, we'll, we're not going to argue the semantics now, but sure, sure. They're trying, I guess, for a company that could try harder, but but sure. They'll be, it'll be the same thing. Every And you can't judge people by their missteps. The fact that they tried, the fact they did that, gen, that gender-bent sort of thing where they um switched the roles, as it were. Who's this coy, shy individual? It's a boy from England. It's like, wow, that's different. And fair enough. Fair enough. I understand that. It could have just done the exact same carbon copy thing. Some would say they did, but yep. they didn't. And so I, I won't bash them too much 40 years later by this contemporary standard. But neither will I hold them up and say, well, obviously it's an underrated pillar of justice and appreciation of the female mind and will. It's like, nah, it ain't. Yeah, I feel like anything that you can say about it as like, oh, no, there's secretly a, a feminist message to it. You could pretty much find that in Greece. and. Neither yeah, film, sure. I think, is particularly great in its feminist bona fides. They both have a lot of mixed messages in them, as as I'm sure we'll get into as, Very we, as we carry on. And I, yeah, I think, you know, the second one is directed by a woman, which is, you know, that's always nice to see. That's huge. Um, she was a choreographer on the first, um, and I think she also directed the mm-hmm. stage show. But yeah, the second one, like, I, it, it, I haven't read a lot of these kind of, like, you know, hot takes reappraisals, but, sure, but sure. I find it hard to believe that there are people who are driven by anything other than nostalgia when it comes to that. Because I feel like I went into oh, it. I had heard, I knew its reputation, but I was kind of, I kind of went into it 
willing to be surprised because I was like, okay, it's got this terrible reputation, but I don't know why it's so bad. And it is, it's basically just like, well, imagine Greece kind of flip the gender roles, but not sort of also not, and then just make it mm-hmm. a lot worse. And bikes rather than cars. Yeah. Like, and make all make the acting all, worse, all the songs, all the songs worse. significantly worse. Just everything worse. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he's definitely, it's got to be that nostalgia thing. And I'm trying to think which one it was. And Lion King 2 was when we touched on. I think there's any others that were obvious, like, oh, I watched that as a kid and that's why I like it kind of thing. Like, somebody watched Grease when they were a kid because fucking everyone's seen Grease. It's, like I said, it's a cultural phenomenon, whatever. Yeah. And you would have also grown up and seen Grease 2 when you were a kid as well and thought, and not really thought anything of it. Because as we talk about, like, your critical thinking isn't switched on when you're a kid. So Grease and Grease 2, yeah, sure, whatever. It's the same movie. It all blurs into one big Greek greasy blob, basically. So it's like, yeah, sure, whatever. <laughs> And you like Grease 2 when you're 6 or 10 or whatever the fuck it is, and you don't really reevaluate it. It's like, yeah, I love that as a kid. Nothing wrong with Grease 2. When was the last time you watched Grease 2? Was it 1992? Like, <laughs> have you watched it in the last 25 years? Like, well, no, but I don't need to. I remember, I remember the songs and stuff. Like, do you, though? Do you actually sing me one of the songs right now? It's like, well, there's... um. Well, she's on the ladder. There's the bit where she's on the ladder. Like, yeah, sing me the song, motherfucker, because you can't. And then you go, you're the one of the one. And everybody goes, one of the one. Ooh, ooh, ooh. It's like straight away, everybody knows those songs from like the smallest little hints. Couldn't, couldn't tell you a thing. And I will get on to my least favorite song later on because I have a rant about that shit from Greece too. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think it's 100% people saw it as a kid grew up on that shit and haven't thought about it in 20 years and think it's good. I mean, we've touched on the power of nostalgia here. Do we want to go around and, and talk about, our, as we normally do, our introductions to Greece and Greece 2? We, we have uh, kind of dived into the deep end straight away. I've kind of done that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll yeah. Um, uh, do our introduction and, and then go into the, uh, the synopsis for people who have somehow escaped the first Greece film and have luckily escaped Greece 2. <laughs> I'll, I'll be brief with mine because I've kind of already covered it. Uh, grew up in it, didn't like it. Saw the second one because I didn't know it existed. Watched it, hated it. Next! Same, essentially. Grew up <laughs> on the first one. Thought it was fine. Never really thought about it again. Didn't know Grease 2 existed until we talked about it on this show. And I was like, weird, Grease 2. And I watched it like two weeks ago. And I was like, fuck this. No, don't like it. I forgot to add. I was in a production of Greece uh, when I was. Oh, amazing! Who did you play? How did Matt? you forget that? Who? Oh, well, Matt, the how the what, what? I think it was the. I think it was the thirty-five-year-old. <laughs> did you get me a friend? <laughs> um, <laughs> I can't remember that guy's name either. I, I literally, we didn't have leather jackets at thirteen. We had bomber jackets because it was the nineties. Um, this is before we moved to, from London, <laughs> before we moved to Norwich, and. Uh, it, I, I love how it. we touched on the history of our, our history, our personal <laughs> history with the franchise. And we're like, and you literally went, <laughs> seen the first one, didn't like it, saw the second one, didn't like it, next. Oh, by the way, <laughs> I was also I was in fucking it. in it. <laughs> yeah. Probably another reason you I don't like it. kept that one quiet, Stockton, Christ. Yeah. I know you're, you're, you're a leather jacket wearing kind of man, but... I can't I picture you in a bomber jacket. That's a weird thing. <laughs> bomber jacket with a center parting. I literally look like a fucking, you know. Oh, God, you had hair. Just... Of course you had hair. <laughs> yeah, oh, my God. 
I didn't look like me now in a, a school I'm setting. A, I'm, an actual I'm imagining mid thirties, Matt, hanging out with all these twelve-year-olds. Just tell me more, tell me more. You need to picture fucking E 17s work experience boy. That's exactly yeah. E seventeen, as my wife will always point out, is the same postcode as where she was living in East London. Um, Tim, what's what's your history with uh? The T-Birds, Who the did you ladies. play in, in a <laughs> high school rendition? Tim, Tim. Natural uh, Zuko. I was I was Frenchy. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I mean mine is very similar as as we say. It, you know, I think it's worth touching on the fact that in 1998, Greece actually there was, it was an anniversary revival. It was it? there was an anniversary revival as as Greece looked at 20 years into the past when it came out. 20 years after Greece had come out, people got really into it again. Um, and it went back into cinemas and earned like yeah. another, I think that's how it's up to 400 million. It was like, it obviously yes. did very yeah. well. It was, it was a, one of the first blockbusters, you know, around the time of Jaws and Star Wars, but then well, highest grossing mu- musicals of all time at that point, I think. I believe it is. Uh, I think it's that. only just got overtaken by the fucking Beauty and the Beast remake. Oh, wow. Um, and up until then, it was the biggest grossing movie musical. Yeah, and so it had this big revival, and there was the fucking Grease Mega Mix that used to come on in discos and stuff like that. Uh, and by that, yep. I mean school discos, not actual clubs. Um, <laughs> uh, so it was it was really around when I was, you know, sort of ten to twelve, that kind of age. I went. I I've seen a stage production of it. I think at least one, maybe more. But yeah, I, I it's one of those ones where I was aware, like you. You get to that age and you start thinking like, I don't think the message of Greece is very good. Um, <laughs> just kind of thinking, like, not like nope. not actively watching it and going back and re-examining it, but just kind of like you think back on it and go, is it, did he just, it's just like, hey, girl, you should be less of a prude and kind of just make out with me more. Hey, spread your legs. And it's like, what the this fuck is this? Kind of a weird message for a kid's film, which it kind of is. Although there yeah. is actually, there's a children's cut of it. Uh, where they excise some of the ruder words from songs like Grease Lightning. Anyway. Uh, Pussy wagon, isn't it? That's yes. Right. Uh, I forgot that's in there. But yeah, I had never I had never encountered Grease 2, um, and it had been a long while since I'd seen the original um, before I rewatched it for, for this, and it, I was, it was interesting going back to it. But yeah, so I think, I think I have the most affection out of the three of us for Grease, and even I think it is a mixed bag. Sure. Shall we, shall we run through a synopsis of what these films are about for those who may be unfamiliar, unaware, or forgotten? I think that's wise. Right, let's do this. Greece, which is, is the word. <laughs> the word of God. No, uh, Greece, 1958. A new school year at Rydell High starts with the two major cliques catching up on their summer holidays. Danny Zuko, leader of the T-Birds, tells his friends about a girl he met who had to move away. At the same time, the Pink Ladies meet the new transfer student, Sandy, who tells them about a sweet boy she met. I'm saying this right now. God, he, like, he, came, in, he came in perfect. I was going to say, we're not going to sing shit. And then the second I start saying it, Jack's like... You're welcome. Because we're all fucking day. Right. Rizzo, leader of the Pink Ladies, realizes that the boy Sandy is describing goes to their school, especially Danny, and arranges for them to accidentally meet. Both are happy to see one another, but Danny tries to maintain his reputation and rebuffs Sandy. She's sad. Danny tries to apologize during a house party, but is chased off. Rizzo and T-Bird can Nikki have sex. The condom, the bricks. 
uh, and sort of gets her pregnant. Maybe. Maybe he does. Maybe he doesn't. We don't know. To combat rival gang, the Scorpions, Kaniki acquires a beat-up car that the T-Birds work on called Grease Lightning! You can't not say it like that, unfortunately. <laughs> That's the rule. That's the rule. Back at school, Sandy starts dating an athletic student named Tom, and jealous Danny enrolls to uh, become a runner to impress her. Having fought and broken up, Rizzo and Kaniki bring Scorpion members to the school dance. Just sort of, you know, typical teenage piss each other off kind of thing. And even though Sandy and Danny went together, Danny ends up winning the dancing contest with Cha-Cha, who's one of these Scorpion female leaders. Uh, again, hurting Sandy. Great message so far. Um, <laughs> word gets out that Rizzo is pregnant, or could be pregnant, and while other students mock her, Kaniki says he'll step in, but Rizzo rejects him, and he, like, fucks off. The T-Birds and the Scorpions engage in a race, but Kaniki is knocked out, so Danny is forced to drive. Danny wins the race in Grease Lightning! And Sandy, watching on, realizes that she still cares for Danny, because she was worried he was going to get into a car crash. She asks fellow pink lady Frenchie to help her with a makeover to give Danny what he wants. She loves him now. She's Australian. Did I mention that? Okay. <laughs> At the end of the school year, Rizzo learns she isn't actually pregnant and gets back together with Kaniki. That's a really... We'll come back to that. Danny has graduated to show Sandy he can be what she needs him to be. And he's got his letter jacket. And he's like, oh, I'm a student now. Look at that. I'm doing my thing. But Sandy turns up dressed like a female T-bird with all like, you know, the shit. Like, oh, wah! he throws that fucking jacket away fast. And he's back to being Danny again. The two admit their love for one another and then drive the dream version of Grease Lightning into the sky. Somehow. Yep. <laughs> Just magic at the end, because why not? The song's great. It's, it's a fun time. But if you look at it with any actual scrutiny, it's not good. Grease 2. <laughs> 1961 slash 1981 because Michelle <laughs> Pfeiffer does not look like she's in the 60s or the 50s. That is, it's so, like, she's just got an 80s face. She does. And they do very little to make her hair look like it's the 60s. And you just, and, and even her costume, like, she wears sunglasses for a lot of the first part, like, first, yep. like, kind of 25 minutes of the film. And it's just... It's so weird because she just looks like she's a time traveller who has arrived there from 20 years in the future. Yeah, she's... she's now, uh, now that's the sequel I want to see. She's, cool. she's her own, she, like, Frenchie's daughter from the future, like Martin yeah. McFly kind of shit. <laughs> yeah. It's Back to the Future 2 without one to explain what the fuck is going on. If we have an old Danny as the doc, like, hey, kids, I'm going to worry about the future. I will eat this old Maybe. pizza. Right, 1960. Frenchie, it's your kids. <laughs> Sign me up. The school year starts and we are introduced to the new wave of pink ladies and T-birds. The leaders of the respective groups, Stephanie Zanoni and Johnny Nogarelli. Just in case you forgot everyone was fucking Italian-American. They're all film. from the Bronx, but also it's set in fucking California or some yeah. shit. It's, they're all like transfer students from New York, it seems. Anyway. They were a thing for a while, but Stephanie feels she's outgrown Johnny. Um, we also learned that Frenchie has re-enrolled at the school to learn chemistry to make beauty products and has been asked by Sandy to keep an eye on her British cousin, Michael Carrington. Oh, God. <laughs> Basil Exposition. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Austin. Um, <laughs> from Derby, no less. Um, Michael sees Stephanie and is immediately taken with her because she's Michelle Pfeiffer. But Frenchie explains the rules that only T-birds can date pink ladies. You can look, but you can't touch. And it's like, 
that's not a rule from the first film, but yep, times are different now. Uh, I don't think you understand. I'm English. <laughs> we, I used to own all this. I was about to say, yeah. <laughs> After school, seemingly everyone goes bowling and sings a clever song about how they all want to score points during Go their respective games. But yeah. the actual meaning behind the lyrics is deeply rooted in sexual liaison, much to the surprise Welcome of the audience. Welcome to Greece, Matthew. Yeah, it's all about sex, everybody. Don't even notice. But, yeah. Every song is just about teenage <laughs> sex. Sung by 35 year olds. <laughs> yeah, I want to have sex with a teenager. You're like, that's uncomfortable. <laughs> Johnny and Stephanie continue to argue, but Stephanie asserts her free will by saying she'd kiss the next man through the door, who happens to be Michael. <gasps> Actually, it's not, it's an old man. And then she says, well, not him. And, yeah. then it's, and it's Michael. Michael professes his love for Stephanie, but she explains that she's only attracted to a cool rider. <laughs> and being the sort of oh. weeby guy I am, I kept saying Carmen Rider. And Carmen just, assume, <laughs> just assuming this fucking Tokusatsu kind of personal Did you pronounce it in a Japanese accent? <laughs> Imagine like the cool. voiceover. That Coming up next, cool later. <laughs> that would have been so much better if he'd like to come up with this like this like <laughs> head and comes up with a bite yeah. with exploding facts. Goes, Suddenly, <laughs> Super Sentai mad shit. That would be <laughs> fucking up. I it's the sixties. It's the right era. Like, you know. <laughs> okay, look, look, listen, listen to me right now. I'm not fixing this one, but if I was, <laughs> if I was, Carmen Rider <laughs> crossover. <laughs> Okay, okay. Cool Ooh, ride. Danny Zuka cool puts ride. on a helmet and just goes... Hey. Right. She wants a cool rider, everybody. It's important we say the word cool rider because there's a whole song about it and she ends up just... That's probably... If, yeah. if anyone knows songs from the film, it's probably that song. It's cool rider. Yeah. Yeah. It's all right. It's, a, it's, it's not fine. good. It's possible. It's possible the best. Right. So Michael decides to embody this ideal man, this cool rider. It's Carmen Rider, yeah. Yeah. By taking money from the T-Birds to do their homework and buys parts to make a working motorbike. He literally builds a motorbike from scratch. That's fine. That's what a cool that's, rider does. That's what a cool rider would do. <laughs> the students learn about reproduction. It's the worst part of the movie. All the students... <laughs> we will come back. We will come back to that fucking song. My God. All the students are bowling again. <laughs> It's the fucking Flintstones when they're set upon by biker gang, the Cycle Lords, headed up by the former leader of the Scorpions for some reason, who's still pissing with kids. Michael, in disguise as Cool Rider, <laughs> arrives on his bike and chases off the gang before disappearing. Stephanie becomes infatuated with the supposed mystery man. One of the T-Birds tricks a girl into going into a bomb shelter while his friend sets off an air raid siren and says they have to reprocreate for America. It's the worst part of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, in his cool rider persona, chats up Stephanie, but the pink ladies and T-Birds chase him off. Johnny's frustrated and the gang go out prowling for women at the glow grocery store. <laughs> So they're at a You're petrol station wrong, and then there's like, we're going proud for ladies. I don't remember the song. And then there's like a thing like, where are they going to be? The grocery store. We're going to sniff them out in the milk aisle. And it's like, oh, it's like, we're going to go to a place we can guarantee to get some. And it's like, okay. sniffing them out in the milk aisle is not a sentence I ever want to hear again, <laughs> especially from you. It comes, it comes from Matt's teenage diaries. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she's just a classy broad because she's in the milk aisle. She knows she's got taste. And I'm sniffing them out. Right, okay, next. Fucking, what's wrong with me? Right, next up, next up, next up, next up. 
Stephanie's grades slip, so she is tutored by Michael and starts to fall for him. But she's conflicted over who she prefers, him or the Cool Rider. It's Spider-Man, everybody. <laughs> Same guy. The Cool Rider's helmet, by the way, is a, is a bicycle, a, a motorbike helmet and goggles. You can tell it's him. <laughs> he does affect an American accent, though, I think. He's doing it, so remember, okay, he doesn't go... He Ew! does, yes. <laughs> he's, not, he's not just old British Michael. Oh, up on me chopper, I'll take you for a ride. <laughs> okay. From Yorkshire. Derby, Yorkshire, same shit. Right, so, took north, innit? Right, um, so she can't choose between the two, even though, even though it's secret, it's the same person. Michael is unsure about whether to continue the charade and then sings a song called charades or charades which is fucking awful <laughs> for, the, for the listeners at home all of matt's little ad-libs here are in fact not ad-libs and, and in his synopsis perfectly it scripted. does word for word say then sings a song called charades which is fucking awful <laughs> at the start of the school talent show because it's a school talent show the t-birds chase michael cool rider Michael Knight Ryder. <laughs> Hello, Michael. <laughs> Hello, Michael. Into a construction site, leading Stephanie to believe he's dead. He's dead. She can't see him. He goes, he ain't in there. He's dead. He made the very big jump, Matt. Yeah, but the, the death cavern, whatever it is. The group return to school to perform in the show, but Stephanie is so grief-stricken, she begins to perform her own song. We're going to get into, gen- uh, was it Dianetic, non-Dianetic? Yeah. Oh, fuck, what it's called? <laughs> Fucking... Diegetic yep. and non-diegetic. Diegetic, yeah, that's yeah. it. Diegetic and non-diegetic in a minute, because that's very good. The song in question is a fantasy sequence set in a weird, white, ashy motorbike graveyard. It's the worst part of the movie. <laughs> Stephanie wins for her song, as does Johnny for his prowling song that he brings back. And the two are crowned king and queen of the graduation luau. There's a luau. A okay. fucking huge luau. Like, what huge. the fuck is the... I realise this, this film had a bigger budget, but... It's still a high school. Like, why are they throwing a? Yeah, why have they it's constructed this American an high school thing for a graduation luau? We talked about it in Karate Kid. It's like, oh, it's the Valley yep. Championships, or whatever. And it's this big fucking scoreboard and like a huge stadium full of people. It's like this is. There should be like six disappointed parents <laughs> and, what, and a PE teacher who doesn't want to be there. That's what a high school karate tournament is. To. Not like. There's a yeah. really good juxtaposition where there's like a half professional rugby match, which is in The Omen, and Gregory Peck is along with maybe like <laughs> seven people watching it. And that's like, that's a, that's a thing. Um, whereas, you know, you've got like fucking Varsity Blues or something yeah. else like that, which is a set in a high school thing. And like, the football game is everything. It's like, this is this is still 17 year olds, right? We're not just. Yeah, that, I mean, that's different because it's, it's fucking culture. American high Cultures. school football. Yeah. But this is the thing. Yeah. This should not be that. This thing. is a luau. Yeah. No, and and it looks like they're going to sacrifice them as well. Be honest, yeah. um, it doesn't look like they're like, oh, we're going to pick it them up. It looks, it looks like the um, fucking end of Joe and the volcano or something. Yeah, exactly. So the luau takes place, but the cycle lords raid it. Thankfully, Michael returns because he's not actually dead and defeats the gang before revealing his true identity. Michael, regular rider. Come on, rider. Stephanie is glad he's alive and doesn't have to choose between the two men because it's the same person. Thank God for that. Feminism. Feminism. And then Johnny initiates Michael into the T-Birds out of respect, even though that's... That you <laughs> find kind it of did, irrelevant did, at this no, point. That doesn't mean sure. shit, yeah. They graduate at the end, no flying car, it's the worst part of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> no, Matt, it's the best part of the movie because it's over. <laughs> that's yeah. very true. Yeah. But then you realise you've seen two hours of this shit. So, reproduction is one of the worst songs 
I have ever experienced. Where does the pollen go? (laughs) (laughs) It starts off with the fucking teacher just talking, and at the end of the sentence, he sings, "Hey, Sean." It's the very parts monotone. of a flower are so constructive that very, very often the wind will cause pollination. <laughs> if not, then a bee or any other nectar-gathering creature can create the same situation. If anyone has ever that's, been to a Catholic mass, that's, not that's what you end up hearing all the time. Famous Christian psalm reproduction. Yeah. Reproduction, reproduction. Put your pollen tube to work. <laughs> oh god! Um, oh, it's cl- it's, cl- it's there. There is the phrase chlorophyllous orgy, which I think is oh. fucking fantastic. I recommend like don't necessarily don't listen to it, but do look up the lyrics because it, there are some fucking gems in there. Like now the, you see my- just how the stamen gets its lusty dust onto the stigma oh. and why it's frenzied. Chlorophyllous orgy starts in spring. It's no enigma. We call this quest for satisfaction a what class? A photoperiodic reaction. Oh, that's good. Oh, that's very good. Hey, I'm lost. Where are we? Chapter two, page five. Uh, reproduction. Oh, see, that, that's it. Yeah, because that's what I remember. Because that's where it goes. Like, uh, put your pollen tube up. Some no, to, to put your pollen tube to work. To work. Is the main bit of yeah. the lyric. Yeah. And then it goes. It goes. Make my stamen go berserk. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> but it's sung by a woman as well. I was like, wait, what? That is correct. It's I don't think very... we even know. What a pistol is. I got your pistol right here. Where does the pollen go? There are a lot of problems. It's atrocious. Actually, the the streaming service that I watched Grease 2 on actually was like the, the, the kind of the little summary that you get for it was like, oh, like it's uh, a mixed bag, a cult hit, uh, blah, blah, blah. Um, But the song reproduction has to be heard to believed. Um, Actually singled it out as like, get a load of this one, mate. (laughs) See, I I actually, um, I disagree because reproduction is a dog shit song and it's fucking awful. It's the worst. But it's not the worst for me personally. What? Yeah, sorry, boys. Um, again, cooler Rider uh, song. Uh, no, no, the the worst song for me is is still "Let's Do It for Our Country." Oh god, it's um, that. I have a oh, real that problem is, with that fucking yeah. scene. I mean, yeah, it's it's. I'm looking at the lyrics now. One second, please. It's up um, there with "Revenge of the Nerds" in that whole like, hey, oh, yeah, it's fine girls. to deceive a girl into having sex with you uh, yeah. by pretending the world's going to end or be pretending to be a fucking the football player that she's going out with that's great yes. like yeah I, find the lyric I, anyone who's holding up Grease 2 as a feminist secret feminist uh, wonder work yeah they're going that fucking scene. yeah they are not <laughs> yeah here's, here's, here's the lines I'm going to just get you from this particular song so as we said it's about uh, one of the T-Birds has tricked this girl into the bunker that Michael is staying in for some reason as a transfer student and then his friend set off the air right saying oh we could go to right now nuclear waste nuclear winter and then they are with the air raid saying, oh and then he like jumps on it and they start singing about the song and it's like you don't want to be dying or it's like almost like the the airplane joke i want to die a virgin kind of thing um and i think the lines yes just think about it it would be like as if we were doing it for the statue of liberty or the grand canyon or the new york Yankees. it would be like as if we're doing it for disneyland yeah let's do it for our country the red white and the blue and it's like what it's not up to it's not up to ask us. Our parents will approve. 
And it's like, what? Tomorrow I'll be frightening and I'll win this war for you. And it's like, you, you, you're kind of just tricking this guy. It's fucking atrocious. And I don't mean just from a sort of like, you know, ah, oh, well, obviously from a 2021 perspective, we're trying to be a bit more. <laughs> from the uh, Me Too era. <laughs> from the Me Too era of men being woke and aware. It's, no, no, it's dog shit. And it should be not played for a laugh. It should be like, I don't know. And, you know, the first film at least tries to do some, should we say, more adult themes with pregnancy and mm. a bunch of other things like that. And, you know, it's just, just, just the idea of like abuse in it as well and the idea of various bits of pieces. It doesn't do them all very well, but it tries to have a more like, this is not your average teenage thing. We're going to talk about some serious issues here. Like smoking. It's like, oh, okay, great. <laughs> um, and then you're missing your period. Oh, God. Can't say the P word in a fucking movie. People explode. In the same way Dirty Dancing did a similar sort of thing where it addresses that kind of stuff. I was just going to bring that up. Mm. The same way that Dirty Dancing, we talked about this. The first one is weirdly hard hitting and interesting because it touches on the whole teen pregnancy and abortion situation that mm. that character goes through. And the same thing with when we talked about Saturday Night Fever and Staying Alive. Exactly. You think about the second one. It's like, oh yeah, it's a bunch of dancing and fun and bullshit. And it's like, and the first one's like surprisingly hard hitting and talks about being homesick and not feeling and understanding your place in the world as a young person. And, oh, I don't know, alcoholism and drug addiction in New York in the in the 70s, basically. Like, they actually tackle interesting things. And I think Greece and Greece too think they do. Yeah. But they yeah. don't handle them. And, and they do touch upon them. Sure, we mentioned like the whole broken condom pregnancy kind of thing that happens. But it's just not as well handled and not as interesting as Dirty Dancing and Saturday Night Fever managed to pull off. And they're films we talked about before. It's surprisingly good at how well they handled those situations. And, you know, again, people think of Dirty Dancing as, in a, I think, in a very, very similar way to Greece. People grow up with Dirty Dancing. Oh, always oh, dreamy and Lee Patrick Swayze. Oh, you know, I know the, all the I know the the dance, the lift, and all that bollocks, and you don't really think about the actual content of the thing. But what we were surprised at, and I don't know I was, and we talked about it on the show, was how good and how much depth that film actually has, and how much it stands up. Greece doesn't, to put it bluntly, and neither yeah, fuck yeah. off does Greece do. Yeah, I think it was interesting when we when we did Saturday Night Fever and. Uh, staying alive both you and i jack talked about like coming to saturday night fever relatively recently and being astounded at how good it was and i think our yep. expectations were probably colored a lot by greece because we assumed it was pretty much the same mm. you know they're one year apart they've both got john travolta in um and greece is so weird as a as a film and as a musical because it's pure fantasy like that's the way you have to approach it because like like yeah, the, it's a flying yeah, car. The car, like, literally, I was about to say, the car flies off at the end. Like, you have to approach it as that thing. Like, there are no adults, or there, there are no parents in the world of Greece. The only adults are the teachers. And in a way, that kind of works because it's this idea of like heightened teenage reality, and you kind of don't care about your what your parents are up to at that point. Obviously, yeah. if you're looking to do a more even slightly realistic teenage drama comedy whatever something that deals with teenage life like your parents still have a big influence on your life at that part but you can kind of get away with if you're doing something that's especially like a, a musical already has that kind of because everyone's bursting into song you have a slightly distanced suspension of belief 
And so you can kind of get away with those moments of fantasy and kind of go like, okay, well, it's just, it's a stylized approach to the reality of being a teen. Plus you've got the 20 years of nostalgia when it was first released. All these additional things that remove it from reality. And you kind of go, oh, okay, well, you know, it's just, you know, it's just this kind of fantasy world, a fantasy version of high school that probably allows you to get away with casting 30-year-olds as, as high schoolers <laughs> as well. Um, but then the problem is when it tries to bring in the real stuff and it kind of, there's parts where it kind of works and there's parts where it doesn't. Like Rizzo is clearly the most interesting character in the first film. Agreed. Um, and There Are Worse Things I Could Do is a really interesting song. And like, if you want to point to like a moment of Grease being a kind of secret feminist masterpiece, like that's it, where it's her talking about being kind of sexually liberated and and the fact that you know frankly there are worse things she could do the songs the naming of the songs in Greece and Greece 2 is very on the nose true um but there's so many moments where it tries to bring in a little bit of reality and it just kind of breaks and it has to you know the the whole pregnancy plot with Rizzo is resolved in a very fantasy way it's like, oh, she missed her period. Maybe she's pregnant. Oh, worry, worry, worry. And then on the end, she's just on a Ferris wheel and she's like, hey, I'm not pregnant. It's great. Everything's yep. fine. And just to kind of carry on about how weird Grease is, it's weird as a musical as well because a lot of the songs don't... To me, the best thing about a musical is it allows you... It, it almost gives you an excuse to access the interior life of your characters because people get to these moments of emotional heightened emotion and then they just sing what they're feeling you know and in a good musical there's there's subtlety to that and there's obviously good music and stuff like that but it is this window into their souls Greece kind of doesn't do that you never really get to know what people are thinking you never really understand sandy and danny's relationship it never really does sing don't tell does it yeah it just kind of <laughs> Sings and does at the same time. Yeah, and it's like we we get a very brief glimpse of Sandy and Danny at the beginning of the film on their during their summer loving, and there's already a tension there between like he wants to kind of make out and she doesn't, but we don't really get a proper glimpse of it. And then you get the kind of the Rashomon of that song where it's like she's like, oh, he's so sweet and he's so. How dare you bring Kurosawa <laughs> to this, you bastard? Yeah, like we said, it's basically Carmen Ryder and Rashomon yeah. mixed together. I bet I was going to put Rashomon. Why in my, doesn't Matt uh, like it? Synopsis, and I didn't. Yeah, I thought um, I'd that, but <laughs> yeah, and it's it's her saying like, oh, he was so sweet, and we just walked along the beach holding hands, and it's him being yes, like, yes, but you never find out like, okay, well, which of those versions? Presumably, the version is somewhere in between, but you don't understand quite what she wants from this relationship. Like, why is she attracted to him? Is it because he is putting on this persona, which seems to be kind of it, that that when he's by himself, he's a more sensitive guy. But we also don't get to see that a whole amount. Like, the one moment when he's alone is Sandy, and that's him mostly going... Like, it's him after he's just kind of tried to force himself on her, going, why did this girl leave me? <laughs> it's like, hmm, have a think, Danny. It's a, it's a really... The songs are good in that they're catchy and that they are... Yeah, they're really catchy, they're really memorable. But I don't think the songs, for the most part, are actually good in terms of how they tell the story of the of the film. They're mostly just, like, good to dance to. I, I would agree with that. I would... um. 
I'd like to bring up two very different films as a bit of a comparison, if you don't mind. Because I, I would say that the interesting thing about Greece, the first one, is that at the end of Greece, it's supposed to be, in theory, about stepping outside of your comfort zone for someone else, making compromise, which is what a relationship is. The maturity of realizing I can't be this image that I've cultivated because I'm now part of a thing. And in Danny's case, it's like, well, maybe I should actually just fucking try in school and actually do what I want to do. Whether she likes me or not, I want to be a better person in case she, you know, has time for me. And in her case, it's like, well, maybe I am a bit, maybe a bit prudish or something, which again, not a great message, but whatever, it's the 70s. <laughs> um, and, you know, I'll, I know I'll, I'll be more, you know, sexually confident, liberated, you know, it works for Rizzo kind of thing. And... I'm, I'm, I'm just very quickly. Grease two does not have that. Nothing is learned. Nothing changes. Yeah. Um, it's more about being accepted into a broken system that you don't respect. But the two films I want to bring up very quickly are one of my favorite movies of all time and a forgettable piece of shit. So the, the Grease and Grease two. <laughs> you beat me to Tim, it, Tim. You know me so goddamn well. No, uh, the forgettable piece of shit is a 1978 Sydney Lumet film. And you talk about, you know, Greece being a fantasy in the exact same year, 1978, The Wiz came out with Diana Ross and Michael Jackson. And Which we Nipsey touched Russell. upon before. We did. Yeah. And, and like Richard Pryor and tons of people are in it. And it's like you could do Wizard of Oz, but like, you know, an African-American version of a story. That's be so fucking cool. And the problem there is that they don't do enough fantasy. They don't do enough interesting. And they have a scene where Michael Jackson, who at the time was known to be this amazing dancer and singer, is the scarecrow up on a, what is effectively a fucking cross. And it's like, what do we do, Lumet? Uh... And it's like, do you have experience with this kind of direction? Ah! And, you know, it's frustrating. Whereas at least Greece, in terms of at least the direction, is kinetic. It feels like it's moving mm. a lot. Greece too, a little less so. But that's fine. Because he's the choreographer that you'd be good at directing that kind of stuff. But yeah, we'll come back to that. But the other one. So so we get this, they have this fantasy scene. Sorry. We have the fantasy in in, in its perfect construction. But Greece is a is a weirdly grounded fantasy. It's how, and this is why I think one of those things is successful. It's the heightened melodrama of how people remember school. Yeah. Absolutely. And the fact that it works on what teens go through in spite of school, whereas everything in Greece too is primarily driven by the school itself, i.e. essays and lessons on reproduction and talent shows. It's never about really the, the kids being or bowling. It's like, you know, it's like, yeah, but Greece didn't have that. Greece had the characters dealing with shit that was relevant to them, i.e. posturing, represent, what's the one, reputation, I should say, and sex and respect for each other and image and all these bits and pieces. You know, it was, it was doing something. Now, the other one I want to talk about, which is very fucking important, is 1955's Rebel Without a Cause, directed by Nicholas Ray, starring James Dean. Because I will say this much, Michael Carrington, <laughs> played by, uh, who is it? I can't remember, I forgot his own name already. What the hell was it? Max it was, um, Caulfield? Maxwell Caulfield, that's right, yeah. Maxwell Caulfield, yeah. He looks very James Dean. He does, mm, yeah. He really does. And I think they kind of play on that. I think he might have been cast on, uh, possibly intentionally for that reason. And one of the things about James Dean, and one of the reasons I still recommend Rebel Without a Cause, because in the 50s, it was a very bold film. It was like, you know, this sort of like neighborhood teen trouble. Everyone's getting in like, you know, they're doing drinking, getting drunk, smoking, riding, you know, you know, doing like death races in cars. I, everything that happens in fucking Greece, basically having sex. It's happening to kids in your fucking suburb. And it's like, no, 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 no. It's innocent children. It's like, no, it's all children. You fucking idiot. Mm. And, and it's kind of your fault. It's kind of, it's entire. Yeah, exactly. And, it, but then the, the key element hammering home the reality of that other than the fact there's you know death and sorrow and all sorts of things and, and tragedy 
and it's it's beautifully done is the adults it's the fact that in the opening scene you know he's in a he's in a cop station for being drunk and he's like impersonating a siren the cop's like shut up and his parents come in and like what's wrong with your son why are you like this don't we give you your toys you want a car you want a bike what do you need from us boy and it's like dad maybe you just and he gets so frustrated he goes in the room and the cop talks to him and says you want to hit something it's like yeah i want to hit something go on hit the desk and he's just you know james dean beats the shit out of the desk and he's like and he gets amazing little speeches about being torn apart. You know, the whole, you're tearing me apart, Lisa, nonsense is bested, obviously, by <laughs> literally the James Dean. of like, you're tearing me apart. And then just the idea of, and he, he, he tries to think about how he could fix the situation. He's like, I don't know. It's these women in his life, his, his wife and his mother. I mean, maybe if he hit one of them, I don't, I don't know. And he hasn't got an answer. That's the point. He doesn't have an answer because he's a kid. And when he's like, oh, do you do this? Yeah, I do it all the time. And he turns to the other character and like, I don't know, I don't know what this is. And he, he's literally a very relatable teenager who's posturing and trying to be cool. And yeah, I'm, I'm hip, I'm down. And trying to hang out with this girl and stuff. And it's, it's fucking great. Greece does bits of that. Greece has a very watered down, tame version of that. And the way it makes it more of a fantasy, as Tim said, is literally not doing the, the whiz thing and putting it in a fantasy setting. It just strips out the adults. Which means you can keep it in the world of a child. Which means you can get, as you say, the reserve resolve at the end, saying things like, "Not pregnant anymore, no problem. I don't actually solve the issue." Eh. And the the race between the the scorpions and the and the tea birds and the grease lightning bit. It's like, yeah, it's just a, just in a fucking water area, and then they the car just burns out. It goes, damn. As opposed to, well, now I'm going to shoot you because this yeah. is America. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, there's no real threat. So, so yeah, Greece is a, is is fine in its own right. It exists in people's minds in that very weird nostalgia. Even in 1978, the weird nostalgia of I oh, remember how it used to be. What are you fucking talking? It was never like this. Even like um, Ron Howard in, in Grand Theft Auto. There's, there's so many examples of like, oh, the 50s was crazy. Kids were like out drag racing. Oh, so cool. Unless you know you were black. In case it was probably really fucking bad. Um, but if you're a white kid, yeah, you had crazy times. Oh, imagine getting caught by the cops, except there were no cops. Um, and Grease 2 does that shit to the nth degree. It goes full on further fantasy because everybody is trying so very, very hard. They are acting so much and every performance is so extra. And then every time I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, I know this is a bit of a like, you know, fantasy school setting and there's like smoke and they all go bowling and, and they all bowl in the middle of the lane somehow. Nobody actually cares about if they're winning yeah, they points or not. Yeah, they just run down the bowling alleys. Yep, entirely. And the song is fucking annoying and terrible and goes on too long. And all this sort of stuff. And I'm like, and all I keep thinking are, are there any police in this town? Because <laughs> this gang is a problem. But yeah, so it's it's a very strange thing to exist as, as a Grease thing. I know we'll get to Grease 2 properly in a second, but Grease 1 is a weird, a weird thing in its in its own right. I can see the stems, of, like the better versions. I can see the worse versions. But I really think Greece is sold by the fact that it had hot people in the lead and the songs were very catchy. Yeah, it's it's the two factors. The songs, the songs, if you look at the entire like soundtrack or, or the list of songs in the films, about a third of them are really good. There's like yeah. a long chunk in the kind of the at the, about the two thirds mark where there's not a good song for quite a while. Like <laughs> it, it basically goes from. Beauty School Dropout, which is oh, my favourite song. I think that's the best song in that. Really? Yeah. Amazing. Um, and then it kind of goes until there are worse things I could do until you get another good song in the film. And there's like a whole, there's the whole dance sequence at the school the where they're, they're doing it for the TV and stuff like that. Yeah. It, but there are those good, there are those great songs in there. 
Um, and also the, the the charisma of the performers. Like you've got some, yes, you've yes. got John Travolta being great. You've got Olivia Newton John being great. You've got Stockard Channing is terrific in this film. Steals the whole thing to me. Personally. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. I think it, it's really it's sold on the strength of those things. If it didn't have those people in it, it would be considered a lot lower by most people it would not be the, the the kind of hit it is and i think grease 2 is exactly what you get when you don't have that kind of charisma and you don't have those hits lined up because it just it grease is an interesting building built on very shaky foundations <laughs> and and grease 2 yeah. is what happens when you don't have those those fine details to attract everyone's attention and you just go yeah. oh this whole thing's about to fall down yeah. Or, or even a script in place. And this is one of those classic examples of a sequel put together because the first one was a success, but the script wasn't finished yet. You're like, uh, of course it fucking wasn't. Um, I, I would also say just regarding Grease 2, again, always amazed when it's more money, but looks cheaper. Grease 2, to my mind, is, is the kind of film that embodies everything that puts people off musicals. Because musicals divide people very much down the line from... Mm, my wife is a prime example of that shit. Well, she'll say, oh, I hate musicals. And then I'll introduce her to like 10 of them and go, oh, I like that. So, so, so it seems like you like these musicals. Emma. You're fine with it. That's like, oh, it's, yeah, but. And then she'll start listening to stuff she's seen as a kid and how her sister watches Grease over and over and over again. And Annie over and over. I said, well, yeah, they're shit <laughs> because they were, well, they're, they're functional. They're good. Some people really enjoy them. It's more that, you know, they're not suited to you. And something like, oh, I love action films. Or I hate action films. Like, yeah, you may have seen the wrong ones or whatever. That's fine. But musical rule number one, in my opinion, never make me ask why anyone is singing. <laughs> if I start going, why the fuck is someone singing? You've ruined it. Now, if you were taken out of the moment, we're going to come back to Cool Rider. <laughs> um, because C Cool Rider is arguably the best song of that film, and it's not a good song. And Michael's like, oh, I love you. My English ways. And she says, no, I don't want you. I want something else. What do you want? What, what, what is it you want? What does Ideal Man do? A cool rider. Let me spell it for you. C-O-O-L-R-I-D-E-R, you piece of shit. And she's saying, it, it's got a decent rhythm to it. But then she's, the way it's shot is the problem for me. We talk about this in like the, the Zack Snyder's Just League episode about how to work formats and <clears throat> how you frame things and blocking, et cetera, et cetera. So Michelle Pfeiffer is singing to Michael. So she's talking and it bursts into song in the same way that I think is always a great example with musicals. People say like, oh, but I don't understand it. Why do they start singing? Why do people start throwing punches and fighting? Because you get so tense, you don't know what to do and you just burst out with something. The difference is they're a bit more articulate than, you know, using the fists. That's the argument anyway. So she's singing to him. Then she walks away from him and it's like, oh, no, no. Well, now she's just describing it to herself and she's straddling a ladder and it's like, okay, fine. Then she's walking through the school and walking off. But no one can hear her singing for some reason. So it's internalized. And you're like, okay. And as, as she's doing this, you know, Michael's sort of walks out of the room he's in and watches her walk off in the distance. And the other guy says, hey, I got a scholastic problem for you. It's like, well, you don't need to, to have any extra tuition if you're using the word scholastic, for sure. <laughs> um, and, but the thing is, the way it's framed, Michelle Pfeiffer, as she's leaving this building and stepping down the step, it's kind of a wide shot. I can see her head, I can see her feet, and I can see clearance between the two. And so she's quite alone in there. Now, Michelle Pfeiffer, to be absolutely fair to her, early role for her, she's not the most compelling fucking dancer. She's not Kevin Baconing it or Patrick Swayzing it all over the fucking shop. She's, you know. And if you think about like the scene in 
the sort of tell me more, tell me more shit um, summer nights in 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 Greece one, and you got them on the bleachers, and it goes in and out, and it pans through, you know, zooms up, and then it's got Sandy snaking through the 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 sort of courtyard where the benches are. It flows really well, and it mm. fills the scene, and everyone's singing, everyone's clambering to get into the shot to talk about their singing. That's great. This is just her, and she's almost got her hands out like a marionette puppet, going, yeah, 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 cool rider, like she's pretending to be on a bicycle. She's down the steps, cool rider, and then she walks off away from the camera, cool rider, cool rider, and the song's getting quieter as if it's following her in the distance, and no one notices her. All the other students are like just having lunch by a tree, reading the books, and she's going, cool rider, see you all, and it's like, this looks dumb. You've now made me think that she is just singing this on her own and nobody can see her. She might be a ghost. Why is she singing? And then it's like, I I could hear myself saying, why is she singing? And I thought, ah, you've done it. You (laughs) fucked it now. I hate it so much. (laughs) Cool Ride is really frustrating because it's kind of the song that Sandy should have got in the first like film as an additional song. Because mm. you, she gets she gets hopelessly devoted to you quite early on, where it's like, I, I just love Danny. That's why basically won't that. he be a nice boy? Yeah, we never get a second song for her where because we never like. Why won't he be a nice boy? Reprise. <laughs> but, but basically, we never understand if is her transformation at the end at all anything that she wants to do. Is she just doing it for Danny? Like, is she being pressured into being something she isn't ready for? Yeah, basically. Because there's yeah. no, we see her be kind of prudish, like throughout, but because there's no adults, we don't understand if that's like, oh, she's afraid of letting down her parents or something like that, or she comes from a very strict household. Like, you don't understand the, the psychology behind, like, why she is like that. And so when she does transform... Sure as shit isn't because she's fucking Australian. Yeah. Because she'd have said all kinds of things. Out of that. All right, mate, I'm going to grab your fucking nuts and twizzle them around my cunt. It was like, yeah. oh, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Sandy, what happened to you? <laughs> Fuck off, mate. This is a knife. Sorry, Australians. A, I'm so sorry. I had a couple of can of Fosters. Now I'm good to go. Yeah. Get in the back of my truck and I'm going to have you. Once it's not me doing the offensive accent. This yeah. is great. <laughs> sorry, Australia. Um... Yeah, but we never we he, he, like we never understand she why she makes that transformation and if it's something that she's at all interested in. Yeah. Um and Stephanie in Greece too kind of I mean it's <laughs> it's a dumb song because it's basically just her going like all I care about is that you've got a motorbike. Uh <laughs> Yeah. But at least we kind of understand that she's a completely she a one-dimensional track. She has a, yeah. <laughs> there's a there's a concept of like the I want song, which a lot of almost every Disney film has, where mm. it's you know it's it's stuff like um fucking I want to be with the people. Exactly. Are. Yeah. It's it's that kind with of song where it's I'm gonna express the thing that is missing in my life so that when I get it later in the film, you realize that I'm happy and you understand what is driving my actions to till that yeah. point. We never really get that in Greece, and I like this English boy, but he's not a cool rider. Yeah, if only he was a, if only cool was he cool rider. So at least, it, at least Greece two has that. The trouble is, it does it in the stupidest way possible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I have a question before we uh, probably close out and get to fixing no. this fucking movie. Which do you guys think is worse, Greece two or Saturnat Fever two? Staying alive. Oh, I preferred staying alive. Mm. What I vaguely remember of staying alive <laughs> because like, the commentary. Devil Devil's Avenue or Devil's Alley, or whatever the fuck yeah. it's called, is entertaining as hell and fucking stupid. There is nothing as entertaining as that in Greece too. Yeah, I feel. Oh, I mean, in 
reproduction is the devil's alley of Greece too. <laughs> <laughs> That's a sentence. Uh, if that's not the teaser, I don't know what it is. <laughs> it's because both of them are a moment where you're just like, what the fuck is happening here? But but Devil's Alley is definitely a more fun version of that. Yeah. Um, just at the end of the film, not the first 20 minutes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I think, like, I think Staying Alive does probably come out on top because... The Devil's Alley sequence is so fucking wild. It's that was fun to watch. We all watched that together, and that was That's fun thing, to yeah. watch. Those are the it days. Was a, it was a slog to get there, but once it once it fucking kicked off, it was just like what the shit. Whereas this mm. Grease Two is just like I paused this film so many times to like check Twitter or do shit on my phone or whatever because I was just like I just I can't. You're done. I just need a moment away from this inanity. I, th- I think I actually fully agree with you guys. I think uh, uh, for a slightly different reason. I mean, you're right because obviously we're, we're, we're tainted because we watched, we did a commentary for it and we really enjoyed it. But which, which you can't hear. <laughs> and we really enjoyed it. Wow. Yeah. Um, we enjoyed doing it, but not actually because the film was any good. But I think Staying Alive beats out Grease Two solely because it's more memorable. Grease Two is very forgettable as a mm. movie, even as you're watching it. There's there's a couple more things I I just want to touch on before we before we get to fixing. One of them is is to return to nostalgia. Grease two is weird because <laughs> yep. because in theory it should work just as well as Grease did because it's it's, it's eighty one looking back at sixty one. It's the same twenty year gap. Grease was fi- uh, seventy eight looking back at fifty eight. But the problem is is that. Because it's changed decades, us now looking at it go, why, what, hang on, it's the 60s, but it looks completely like the 50s. It's the same problem as, as weirdly enough, Austin Powers' gold member had. Yeah. Where yeah. their version of the 70s looks pretty much exactly like the 60s. And in this, it's like, it's only 61, so of course it still looks like the 50s, but to us we have different expectations and that it just kind of sets itself up like i think like if if you're telling a story that's that's set nostalgically unless you've got a lot of room and can kind of fully consider like exactly what you're doing don't go at the start of the decade because you don't know how your decade is going to be defined sure but e- but even then th- this isn't 40 year olds who are so set in their ways they don't change this is kid supposed to be mm. kids and these kids are usually at the forefront of every fucking change. Yes. So even if it is 1961, people are going to be pushing that stuff going further forward. Yeah. Is still, you know, for example, if you, if you think about it, like with, with John Lennon, for argument's sake, a very defining look of the 60s was obviously the Beatles and mm. the British invasion, Britpop and all that sort of stuff. And it, at one point in the late 50s, Lennon was a greaser. He was like mm. leather jacket, pompadour hair, because Elvis was all the yeah. thing. 60s roll around, suddenly he's doing his own thing and he's not anymore. And that's the point, because the kids are defining what those looks look mm. like. So them turn up with their cigarettes and their fucking T-Bird jackets and shit. It's like, why would you think that a group four or five years prior to you was a cool gang? Yeah, that's weird. Why is there why is there still a T-Birds and why is there still a Pink Ladies? And it has become yeah. so weirdly ratified that like, well, the Pink it's Ladies... become like weird institutions, right? Yeah. Like, it's a weird <laughs> thing. The Pink Ladies only date the T-Birds. It's like, that wasn't that's the weird. case in the first film. They did... But that wasn't. It wasn't like that. That was a hard and fast rule. No, 
it's just yeah it's incestuous um, yeah it's it's a very strange reality that it creates um like you say there's no acknowledgement that 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 time has moved on really um mm. aside from the fact that michelle pfeiffer's there looking like it's the 80s i mean we talk about well we didn't we did in the outtakes about mean girls for example sake about how it goes from the course of the, a couple of school years and you see that like, the next generation of plastics and admittedly they do look the same mm. that's the thing they look like regina george that they mm. but just younger version about a couple of years and you're like yeah but in their own way they mm. still and again we're talking about the difference between in terms of the story what i guess would have been 2004 to 2005 in terms of like you know if mm. you wanted like a school year kind of thing you're like yeah i, I get it but that's not like you know 99 to 2001 where things are dramatically different already mm. overnight because of everything it's like yeah so anyway yeah. it's the, a mixed bag of weirdness the only real acknowledgement of the 60s is the stuff in do it for our country where it kind of talks a bit more about nuclear war and president yes. kennedy and that's so bad that it doesn't doesn't work yeah, that's weird fascist uh, if it was in a satirical way it could actually be quite funny but it's not yeah um the, and what's more you end up with the um the weird motorbike graveyard dream sequence song. <laughs> yeah. It's like, is this meant to be like a nuclear winter? What is this? I don't understand. Are you trying to make a Cold War thing? What's going on here? Or is the, it just a dream sequence? The thing to focus on when watching Grease 2 is to remember that most of the the obnoxious T-Bird characters will at least get killed off in Vietnam soon. Fucking <laughs> hell. Um, the last Probably thing I wanted true. to circle back to, because we mentioned it earlier, is Stephanie's weird song at the talent show, which Jack, I know um, you wanted to talk about. Oh, Jesus. The, the whole fucking talent show is just, just makes your skin crawl, you know, <laughs> that weird, like, uh, oh yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's worse than reproduction, but it's up there. <laughs> it's this weird, like... Like you said, it's this weird thing where it's caught in between decades. Like you said, it's totally a weird choice. And we'll go on to the fix in a moment and whatever. By the way, Tim's fixing this one, ladies and gentlemen, if we haven't already mentioned. And uh, we'll be talking about what decade you choose to release in, whether you follow up a couple of years later or whatever that is. It's going to be an interesting discussion because I think that has such a big effect on these kids. But yeah, God, this this whole... I just hate it. I just hate everything <laughs> about it. I can't remember exactly how you worded it in your notes, Matt. I'm just flicking back through. The song in question is a fantasy sequence set in a weird white Ashley motorbike. It's the worst part of the movie. She wins for the song, no less. And then you're like, right. And then also the Prowling song is brought up again. You're like, hold on a minute, what? <laughs> and then just like, yeah, we'll just do both. It's an ensemble act, but one of them wins it. Like, right. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Oh, and God, this whole, it's such a trope bullshit thing and they're just like and now they're the king and queen and you're like oh, yeah of off. the talent show what yeah, yeah. is it a, is it a prom is it a luau is it a school what? dance is <laughs> it a talent show it's all of the above with a huge production budget <laughs> like we said and it's that weird thing of it's they're they're doing the production of their their fucking girl for all season song which we hear about 18 times during this oh, film God, yeah, yeah the fucking opening of it at least and they're doing it and then it's meant to be stephanie's moment to sing in the it, singing in that song but she's like thinking about the fact that michael's dead or whatever and so she sings this different <laughs> song and goes into this fantasy sequence but then it comes back and that she, 
the crowd applauds her for that song she's just sung. And it's like, well, hang on a minute. So she just sat, sung that. Did she just make acapella? up that song acapella on the spot? Yeah. Just go off the rails. Yeah. It's, it completely it's, breaks the, the, the kind of... It's also called Love Will Turn Back the Hands of Time. Oh, it's very bad. Um, I, I, I must admit, in the first... I mean, we mentioned this earlier about how, uh, you know, Danny... Danny! He's, um, he's trying to impress... Sandy, oh, I didn't see you ages. Where you go back to Australia? Oh my God! And then, then she's like, oh, I mean, uh, it's my name, baby. Don't wear it out. I'm, I'm being cool. It's like, oh, he's a prick. And it's just, just be yourself, Danny. You're a nice kid. No, he's not. He probably isn't at all. Um, <laughs> neither is accurate, accurate, accurately a sort of Danny. He's a weird chameleon boy. But the point is that he makes an effort and tries in school. Sort of try hard attitude. He's like, no, no, I'm, I'm gonna be a, you know, an athletic thing. And he's like, hey, you gotta go with this Danny and like, you know, smoke cigarettes under the bleachers. Nah, I gotta do my schoolwork. It's kind of like the the Saturday Night Fever. Like, no, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and do it right. You know, I'm trying to trying to fly right, as it were. Mm. It's like, all right, whatever, fuck you. That's not our style. We're already decided. We're gonna just literally coast through school to get out of school. We're not trying to achieve. So these new wave T birds were like, we gotta win a talent contest. Like, what are you doing? Yes. The T birds like ditch class. They're assholes. And they, I mean, from from our point of view, as like you know, arguably curricular nerdy guys, these are bullies. <laughs> these are people who are going to beat us up. And they've got cars. They're, oh, they're so cool and shit. And then you know they're working, you know, some dead end fucking job, and they hate their lives. And you're like, yeah, that's kind of the end of the road, dude. Because you know, then you analyze why and so on and so forth. And oh, we were getting in fucking fights and blah blah blah. All this sort of shit. But, Matt, but these T-Birds aren't like that. The T-Birds, like they had 100 long player records to motivate oh, them. It's true, it's true. It also never comes up again, anyway. Never again. So you're going to get like a music deal uh, before or after the luau. Oh yeah, sorry, there's also a luau thing. Does, does she get the, the deal as well? No, 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 no. Don't worry about that. It's just, it's carrot stick, right? Fine, 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 fine. It's like, okay. It's, it's fucking furious. It's, 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 a, it's a classic example of, am I going to make this comparison? Yeah, I'll make this comparison. It's almost like uh, Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead. In, oh, wow. In that shit just happens. It doesn't make a lot of sense. It's never brought up again because it leads to a scene and they go, that's pretty cool. And it doesn't actually make sense for the characters. It doesn't make sense for any sort of development. It's just, and then they do this. Why? Because it'd be cool to see that kind of scene. Right. We've got the T-Birds spying on the, uh, the acapella boys in the shower. Right. And then, then you know, he builds a motorbike. Right. And he, he defeats the biker gang. The biker gang of 20-year-olds. Maybe even older, because they were already a fucking gang with, you know, in Zuko's day. It's like, yes. How does he beat them? Well, he just rides past them and they fall over. Right. <laughs> okay. Right. And then they, this gang raids the school. Yes. Is it like the wild one? You know, Brando turns up and he's, you know, on the police's trail. No, 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 no. There's no police. There's no security. It's just the school. Who are the adults? You know, the old, welcome to Rydell High. Doom, 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 doom. <laughs> and she's not going to fucking stand for those gangs. They're cycle lords. And it's like, right. <laughs> the whole thing is just like, I want to see this. And it's like, oh, cool. And again, it's probably down to the script wasn't fucking finished. <laughs> Have a story, then write songs for it. Simple. And make the songs part of the story. Uh, Tim, let's fix this. Today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. We use Podgo all the time. They're really convenient, really handy platform, um, really easy to use and have been really helpful to us. 
You can apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. And be sure to add our podcast in the How Did You Hear About Podgo section of the application if you decide to do this. Because uh, we both get a little bit, little bit, of, little bit of dollar dollar. I was really hoping Tim was going to sing the whole thing. That's <laughs> P-O-D-G-O at dot C-O. That would be amazing. Well, I, as well as being on the pitching side, I'm on the Rotten Tomatoes duty this week. Mm. Swing. So, gentlemen, prepare your brains. Ah! Switch on the internal tomatometer. (laughs) And tell me what you think 1978's Grease has scored on Rotten Tomatoes. Jack, we'll come to you first. Very high. 91, please. Pull that number out of thin air. Just thought I'd go straight for it. It's the first number I thought of. Fuck it, let's go for it. Matthew. I have an... I've got an opinion. I think critics of the time would not have liked it much because during the 50s and 60s, musicals were huge. Sound of Music, Calamity Jane, West Side Story. And this was not your average musical. It was for kids and it was cool. And so I think there'd be enough grumpy old fucks who would knock it down a bit. I think there'd be enough contemporary reviews saying, eh, it's not that great. So I'm going to say, ooh, there we go. I'm going to say 78. Yeah. See what you did there, Matthew? I see what you did there. I think it should be lower, but sure. <laughs> Matthew. Hello. 1982's Grease 2. Where do you think that falls? Like fucking 10 or some shit. Um, <laughs> See, uh, this is the question <laughs> is, do we get the retrospective, rose-tinted, nostalgia-filled bullshit? Yeah. Because, as we have discussed before, Rotten Tomatoes does include retrospective view reviews as well as reviews yeah. that are contemporary to the release of the movie. So there will be some AZ stuff in there if, if it's available. And that's another thing. If they can get scans of the magazines and confirm all that yeah, bullshit yeah, from yeah. back in the day, because there weren't no internet in 1982. So... I'm a bit worried this is going to be high. I'm not going to lie. With some underrated gems kind of retrospective I, I actually reviews. agree with Jack entirely. I would like to have think this would be an egg. And then I thought, well, maybe 10. And then I, I mean, oh my God, it's mm, be like 20, isn't it? It's not going to be an egg, man. Okay, let, let's say, let's say, let's be optimistic and say 17 okay. year olds that are being played by 30 year olds. <laughs> <laughs> Jack, where do you think it's falling? I'll go for the actor's age, which is like 32. <laughs> Uh, and finally, oh, we've got the, a Tim special. Oh, the Dark Tim. a wild card in. I know they got like prequels and fucking Paramount oh, Plus no. series lined up or some bullshit. Oh, there no. are there's there's prequels in the work. Uh, I believe a film called Summer Lovin' and oh, a TV series called Grease: Rise of the Pink Ladies. Oh fuck's sake! Uh, however, obviously neither of those have arrived yet. But I tell you what has arrived. Yep. That is 2016's Grease Live. Oh, uh, interesting. Uh, okay. Which was a musical production that was shown on TV. Um, which like it was, was done for... It's the one with... Is it Vanessa Hudgens one? Yes. And uh, she Ooh. is... Foreign? No. Uh, it's uh, Julianne Howe. Julianne Howe, uh, sorry. Yeah. Aaron Tveit uh, as Sandy and Danny and Vanessa Hudgens as Rizzo. Uh, it also Adrian had Carly... Veidt from Watchmen. <laughs> Uh, Carly Rae Jepsen <laughs> as Frenchie. Oh. Shit, son. Uh, this is yes. like when they did the Dirty Dancing TV series with Abigail Breslin. 
Yeah. It was not good. I'm going to just had, assume... I mean, they had a trend of these. They did a yeah. few like live musicals. I think it was Fox doing them mostly. I, um, I'm going to assume it was the same gauge where it was like, this was a really fucking bad idea. People love Greece. No. But also people love Greece, therefore they'll be biased. No, let's say, let's say, oh no, terrible idea. You shouldn't have done this. It's not the same. And I don't like Venice Hudgens and rah, 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 40%. Okay, Jack, what do you think? I was thinking somewhere around there as well. Somewhere like between the two kind of thing. Greece 2 is going to be lower. Ah, but then there's nostalgia for Greece 2. There's not nostalgia for Greece life. But was Greece life that bad? I don't know. I haven't seen it. 45? Yeah. Okay. I'm going to tell you up front. Jack, you've won this one. Yes. Fair however. However. <laughs> However. There's some very interesting. I knew there was going to be an however then. Mm-hmm. If you tell me okay. up front, I know I know there's something else coming. Let's start with Greece. Sure. Jack, you said 91. I did. Matt, you said 78. Mm. You both overshot the mark. Whoa. It's 75 percent wow. on Tomatoes. Wow. Because it was actually it was mixed critics at the time. There we go. When it was released, interesting. had a very mixed reception. Obviously, it's now held up as a gem. But at mm-hmm, the time, mm-hmm. it was, yeah, mixed reception. Interesting. Oh, interesting. Audience score, 87%. Yeah, a yeah, lot yeah, higher, a lot yeah. closer to what uh, Jack had there. Yep. Grease 2. Here we go. Matt, you went for 17%. I did. Jack, you went for 32 I did. 37%. Fuck off. Oh, that's pretty close. I'll take With that. an audience oh, score. Wrong. Uh-oh, uh-oh, here we go, here we go. Matt, 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 prepare yourself. Audience score for Grease 2. 53. Fuck. You are wrong. Higher than Blade and Blade yep. 2's critics. I know <laughs> I bring this up every time. No, it's and I know right. it's, it's, it's an old right thing from a previous season, but fuck me. It's one of the biggest shocks we've ever had on these fucking Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. This is the Blade God. result. And finally, Grease Live. I don't think, I, I assume neither of you have seen it. You are correct, oh, sir. Yeah. Matt, you said 40. Jack, you said 45. Yes. 92% Holy on Rotten Tomatoes. What? And that is on th- that's based on 36 reviews. So it's not just it, like it a weird Wow, title. it's not like three or th- like yeah. five Shit. reviews. Wow. Uh, with a 69% I mean, audience score. So nice. not huge, but still pretty decent. Wow. Um, it's a hell of a cast. Like already you've, yeah, you've got... Yeah. yeah, they probably sing it out better than some of the other original people singing it. No mm. shit, yeah. And I uh. think it might have been the first of those live productions. Right. So it might okay. have had that appeal yeah, as well. that's true. They hadn't worn thin yet, where they've yeah. done... Wow. <clears throat> was it Christopher was Walken and Peter Pan? That was fucking diabolical. <laughs> oh, was yes. And yeah. uh, Shaggy's in uh, Little Mermaid and stuff. Yes. And, yeah. Dark times. Well... That's enough prattin' around. Shape it's up, fixing Tim. time. I need a man. I, I better shape up. <laughs> so. Let's get stuck in, Mr. Mayton. I have a film here for you, gentlemen. Beautiful. Thank God and for that. I think that were this film to exist, I think Matt Stogden would hate it. <laughs> this, oh, is wow. always, this, is, this is always a nice caveat that Tim brings out every now and again. So I've written this film. I think Matt's going to hate it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay. But that usually means it's going to be probably quite good. But I'll begrudgingly say, mm, I wouldn't like it though. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You'd still own it on DVD there, Matt. Yeah. I don't, I, I, this is not like I've made it to be bad. I've just made it and I feel like it's very counter to Matt's principles. Fucking hell. All right. <laughs> it's um, called Death uh-huh. to the Irish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Fuck you so, and your famine, Greece too. <laughs> um, I mentioned it earlier, uh, how okay. there was nostalgia happening in those 20-year cycles. Oh, mm. the 90s revival, yeah, yeah, yeah. Here we go. The 90s revival. My film is being released in cinemas in 1998. Holy That's shit. Okay. That's a good idea. And to be fair, we said, big problem with the second one is that it's a couple of years later after, you know, four years after the original, mm. it's still hanging in the shadow. I think, it's true. I think... The twenty-year revival cycle the is a is interesting a good thing marketing is going to be if Tim's setting this in the fifties. We'll we'll find out. We'll find out. We'll find but I'm out. just curious. Yeah. Or if he's setting it in 1998. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. So when you said the fifties, I thought, well, obviously you mean the seventies, like twenty years <laughs> later, and then you said the nineties, like, oh yeah, that's forty <laughs> years later after Greece. Oh, mm, it's yeah. in the timeline of Greece. Oh my god. My film is called The Grease Generation. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> now I think it's set in the 70s or 80s now. Do um, you want to go like Grease colon generations or Grease colon <laughs> nemesis or Grease, Grease colon. colon first contact? Oh, or... I appreciate Grease the start first Grease contact. Yeah. Grease. I just want to say Grease colon. <laughs> Grease nemesis. <laughs> Grease insurrection. <laughs> I'd, I'd watch the fuck out of Grease insurrection. Greece, Macedonia. It's a or, or Greece into darkness. <laughs> <laughs> Greece into darkness. You're welcome. Oh, ah, uh, you felt. And my director. Oh, I, can I just say Deep Grease Nine, please? <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> my director is Jonathan antics. Frakes. <laughs> oh, I wish. Love it. Love it. Uh, my director, and this is where I think. I'm going to get Matt make a noise. Oh. My director is Baz Luhrmann. Oh. <laughs> was that the noise you were expecting, I, Tim? No, I was, I was expecting more of a... Uh, ah. I was expecting that, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm, I can see Baz Luhrmann doing an interesting job with that. But they're 98, you say? Mm. So post-Romeo and Juliet, pre-Moulin Rouge. Yeah. So yeah. he's going to make it like Moulin Rouge, isn't he? Yeah, all right, here's the noise you want, Tim. Uh, yeah. <laughs> An older Michael Carrington, who doesn't exist in it, played by Jim Broadbent, because we know how <laughs> Welcome to Rydell High! <laughs> 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 smells like Teen Spirit! Uh, my, my hope is that with... Uh, because, he's, because he's working on an established property... We'd it would be a little, bit more a little bit more studio yeah. oversight, and they would rein in some of the hyperkineticism and 50 of, more Australians of Moulin Rouge <laughs> uh, there are some Australians in the cast um, amazing but yes they're, they're, uh, I, I, I really like uh, Romeo and Juliet I think it's a I really good film um, that really holds up Moulin Rouge mixed bag not so much it's a piece of shit uh, <laughs> I own it but it's a piece of shit um, and Lerman is a varied director but I think at this point, he would be a good choice for it. I, I actually, I actually agree. I think off the back of Romeo and Juliet, people would mm-hmm. go, "Hmm, yeah." If he can make me get into Shakespeare, yeah, fuck mm. it, give him Greece. Mm. He's also someone who really knows his music. He like, does. He, he does. He does like music producing and stuff. He does. So. Dir- oh, I keep saying this. He does other shit that doesn't work. But yes, I, I can see it working, Tim. It's a good shout. Yep. Returning cast as Danny Zuko, <gasps> Travolta. 
Okay. Okay. Post okay. Pulp Fiction, John Travolta. Okay. That, I mean, that is that is also part of why I wanted to set it twenty years later, is because that brings us to the tra- little Travolta Renaissance we had yeah. in the mid nineties with Phenomenon <laughs> and Michael. Such a great <laughs> hits. He was supposed to be in Apollo thirteen, but it's too smug to be in it. Anyway, um, <laughs> a good thing he wasn't. Hanks was better, but um, yeah, okay. That, that again, I get it. That, that mm-hmm. works. As Sandy Zuko Olsen, oh. Olivia Newton John. How nineties of you, Tim. <laughs> uh, as Betty Rizzo Murdoch, Stockard Channing. Which again, she's TV regular on the West Wing at this point. Everyone, yep. she's still yep. fantastic. Yep, great. she's still terrific. Mm. Uh, as Kaniki Murdoch, ooh, Jeff Conaway. That could be very tricky, Tim. That's the only is one he, I'm excited to he, he could come back. He was he was pretty fucking close to being dead. Um, because he was in like rehab and couldn't speak for a while. So Ooh. that I mean, like, what is? Oh, he, I, I dies, to... he dies in 2011, Matthew. Yeah. Hold on. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> I know that, but he was like he was in a really. And I, I, okay, I don't know the exact years. I'd have to figure it out. And these are, mm. but I know his uh, health problems and stuff came out like. He was in celebrity he was rehab in the eighties. Yeah, yeah. Um, he relapsed. Yeah, he was clean in the nineties, but blah, I think blah, blah. again, I don't know if he could speak properly. Now, this is me like bashing Tim immediately. This is me saying that could be an issue we may fix later on with a recast or something. Yeah, but I he, think he is a mate of John Travolta's to the point where Travolta saved his life with Scientology. So <laughs> I'm, I'm not making this up. Um, oh, I know. So yeah, I think Travolta might be the one to bring him in. So like, hey. Come on, Jeff, do us a favor. Come back for the Greece reunion. He's he is not heavily in it, so I think mm. uh it's okay. Again, it's it's one of those weird things where he is a very troubled individual and I mean he was oh fuck. Wasn't he like married to Olivia Newton John's sister and they Correct. got divorced around this time as well? So again, that's this is me putting on problems that don't actually mm. matter married right now. Married to Rona Newton John. They divorced in the eighties. Interesting. Uh, yeah. So again, Tim, we'll figure it out later. But for now, Kenicky, mm. we'll figure yeah, it out. Yeah, I, c- I can remember seeing those things, but I can't say I properly no, like, mind. That's, that's ran my problem. eyes over them and worked out the time. So it he a he's recastable if that if it would mm. really be a problem, but also he isn't a huge presence in the film. That's so cool, if cool. for what I'm quickly reading here, he relapses in the mid two thousands. So you might actually catch him in the late nineties in a good period during his life. It's possible. So, yeah. Fingers crossed. Hopefully, yes. We'll go with that. As Frenchie, Dee Dee Con. Yeah, she's iconic in the role. She's great. Mm-hmm. And as Eugene Felsnick. Fucking hell. Eddie Deason. For people nice. who may not remember him, he oh. is the, the nerd character. He yeah. actually reprises. He's one of the few who shows up again in Greece too. He does. And it's like, how are you still in school? You should have graduated because yeah. we're smart, you dumb fuck. He's also, he's also, oh, I'm going to get this right. I know he's in the Polar Express. A voice, very nerdy. Hello. Because oh, I don't think he does, um, he's done quite a lot of voice work. Mandark in, uh, in Dexter. Dexter's lab. Yeah. yeah, he is. Yeah, I'll get you, Dexter. That yeah. kind of yeah. He did. He's in like Cow and Johnny Bravo and all that shit. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah, he's a quite a prominent voice actor. Cool. New cast. Okay. Here we I'm go. Ready for this. Here Let's we crack go. Crack our knuckles and get this. Bring me the Australians. As <laughs> Steve Zuko. Steve. <laughs> Joaquin Phoenix. Oh wow! I can see that he has a bum chin. Uh, so this is <laughs> he would have just he would have just been he'd have been he obviously starts career quite young in Space Camp, 
he would have just been in uh, Parenthood, the Steve Martin film, oh, and yeah. uh, To Die For, the uh, Nicole Kidman um, kind of dark comedy type thing. Yeah. Um, around this period. Um, obviously goes on in a Just couple of years to be yeah. Gladiator. Yeah, yeah. Um, a couple of years before Gladiator, isn't he? Yeah. 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 Uh, sings in Walk the Line, notably. He does. He's, yeah, he's pretty good, Johnny Cash. Um, I, I'd like to make a retraction. It's very important I say this. He doesn't have a bum chin. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to mislead people. Carry on. For, if it wasn't clear with the surname, that is the son of Danny and Sandy. Mm. Yeah, I can definitely see. Especially in the 90s, like we had a big quaff of black hair and stuff like that. He's, he, looks, yeah. he looks like the, um, Jonathan... Um... Frakes. <laughs> no. Firth Clark. Jonathan <laughs> Reese Myers. Oh. He has a similar sort the of less look. less Irish him. Jonathan. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I, I think that's a very interesting cast. Or Jonathan Reese Davis? <laughs> just Jonathan Davis I, I thought they were the same person for quite a few years I'm not going to lie anyway uh, as Dina Colvin Jenny Lewis who Jenny Lewis I think I don't do most it. people will know as the lead singer of Rilo Kylie uh, and also a oh. solo artist in her own right yeah but she actually had uh, she was a started out as a child actor uh, she mm. was in Troop Beverly Hills. She was in The Wizard, the Nintendo Power Glove yeah, 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 film. Yeah. Uh, she was in Foxfire with Angelina Jolie. And same year as this, she was in Pleasantville uh, in a relatively minor role. It was about mm. this point where she decided to give up being an actor and focus on music. music. Yeah. But we're going to swoop in and get her. Yeah, it makes sense. Because she's, again, if you if you were, if, I think now she's pure, you know, music and the acting thing is yeah. rear view mirrors and things. So that makes sense. But yeah. Ah, cool. As Cole O'Donnell, mm -hmm. James Marsden. Fuck yeah. Ooh, good old Cyclops. Yep. Uh, so this is pre-Cyclops, obviously. Yeah, by uh, a couple of years. He's mostly yeah. done TV stuff at this point. He's shown up in Saved by the Bell in the New Class, Blossom Fucking and Party of Five. Uh, and around this point, he's also in uh, Disturbing Behaviour, which mm. is an underrated I, little I sci-fi yeah. sort of teen film. Uh, goes on to be in The Notebook, Westworld. And of course, Sonic T. Hedgehog. <laughs> if I had to do a God, 90s yeah, yeah. or even an early 2000s reboot of Greece, he'd be a Zuko for me. He's great. Yeah. Uh, as Arlo Jensen, mm -hmm. Neil Patrick Harris. <laughs> yeah, he's Brilliant. a song and dance man. He, yeah. is a, he is indeed a song and dance man. Uh, obviously, just been in Starship Troopers at this point. Uh -huh. uh, and goes on to be in Harold and Kumar Go to White Castle and mm -hmm. The Muppets and stuff like that. As Renee Fox, Idina Menzel. <laughs> if, you, if you're gonna have somebody singing in a film, if you're gonna have John yeah, Travolta have a Menzel. cast member he can't remember the name of, yeah. Adele, Adele <laughs> That's never getting old. Like, uh, uh, this is this is me. I'm purely I've purely cast this film just to make it so that in the future he does pronounce her name correctly because he's been in a he film. Knows, oh, yeah, yeah. He's I worked with her on Greece too. Her name's yeah. Idina Menzel. She's a beautiful. <laughs> Crazy Her name's so uh, yeah, so she's um, purely Broadway at this point. Um, has been uh, original cast Rent. of Rent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, she she would have just finished up her run and in, then in Rent. At this went point. on to be in the same role. I think in she the was the only person to reprise her role from the stage the to. No, there was there was a bunch of people. Oh, really? Who did yeah. Anthony Rapp? I think Tay Diggs. Oh, of I don't course, know if Anthony he Rapp. It, yeah, but yeah. he was yeah. in the. I think he was in the first Broadway cast. I love Anthony the first. Rappi, he's great. Anyway, mm. 
yeah, she, uh, a huge icon of Broadway. Uh, also goes on to be in Frozen. Uh, She's the one who sings "Let It Go." Listeners, yes, <laughs> put that together. Uh, and shows up in Uncut Gems. Yeah, weird. Mm. She's good. But she's good. Yeah. As Sheena South, mm. Anna Nicodemou. Uh, Australian time, eh? Yes. Oh, I, I think I only know her as Follow the White Rabbit Girl. Yes. Yes. That is basically yeah. what she's best known mm. for. She From was also in a couple of Australian soaps, uh, Heartbreak High. I watched Heartbreak uh, High. I remember yeah. in it. Uh, before this and goes on to be in Home and Away uh, yeah. later. Yeah. Like a true uh, Aussie. She, I believe she also won Dancing with the Stars Australia at one point. She sure. was in it and did well. She has a physicality that she can dance. That's all we need to yeah. know. Uh, as Simone Young, Heather Headley. Uh, this is another uh, well. Broadway person. Right. Uh, she originated the role of Nala in The Lion King. Oh, uh, okay. Which would have been just before uh, this. Uh, she also won a Tony for uh, Aida uh, mm-hmm. on Broadway. Nice. Shows up in Dirty Dancing Havana Nights briefly. Oh, okay. Uh, and she's been in Chicago Med and the Netflix uh, version of She's Gotta Have It uh, recently on TV. Mm. Fair enough. Uh, as November D'Amico, Gwen Stefani. <laughs> oh, interesting. This is early. Uh, this yeah. is no doubt era Gwen this Stefani. This would have right? been yeah. after Don't Speak has like blown up and yeah. Tragic Kingdom. Yeah. It would have been, but before Rocksteady. Well, that kind of era. She she appeared in The Aviator, so it's not unheard of. I mean, this was like you know, 2004 mm. or five, whatever it was, 2006 yeah. maybe. So it's just jumping that up a little sooner. That makes yeah. sense, yeah. Also, uh, voiced a troll, don't forget. Uh, sorry, she voiced Most a troll. Most importantly, she was in Trolls. <laughs> I, I thought she was fucking Tank Girl because I didn't understand yes. the difference in my head. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally, uh, the songs in the Grease generation uh, are written by Nancy and Anne Wilson of Heart uh, behind such hits as Barracuda. Ah. Yeah, I was going to say, I think we were going to set this year-wise. Yeah, Yeah. so should we get into it, gents? Please. I'm excited about this. I'm excited. The film opens with a reprise of We Go Together from the original film playing over images of the 1958 Rydell High yearbook and ending on an image of Danny and Sandy driving off in Grease Lightning together. Question, Tim. Yeah. Are they flying? No. Oh. But it's ambiguous. Metaphorically, because they're so <laughs> Metaphorically, they're flying. And then over a cliff. It's too close to tell quite Interesting. where in the stratosphere they are. The scene transitions to the actual yearbook, which is being read by an older Danny Zuko. And the music fades... Danny sadly puts the yearbook away and tries to conceal his mood as his son, Steve, enters, heading out for the evening. It is 1978. Nice. There we go. John Travolta is in Saturday Night Fever. (laughs) (laughs) No, in this case, the guy heading out is Joaquin Phoenix dressed in a white suit. (laughs) (gasps) Oh my God, if you've done a crossover tip. A a, a sequel, remake, mashup. It's a fucking Rubik's Cube folded in on itself. The Travolta-verse is complete. All the corners are on the inside. Yeah, it's the Mobius strip of John Travolta movies. Anyway. Bidding his father goodnight, Steve unites with his friends Cole and Arlo and begins driving around Rydell as the trio sing Something Might Happen Tonight, a new song. The song reveals it is the final Saturday of the summer break and the incoming seniors are eager for excitement. 
in particular Steve, who feels bored and trapped by his hometown. The trio meet up with Steve's girlfriend Renee and her friends Sheena and Simone, who join them in the song, but as Steve finishes singing, he spots a girl exiting a Greyhound bus with several suitcases and a guitar case. Returning home, Steve and Danny chat about the school year to come. Danny is now the gym teacher at Rydell High. Of course he uh, is. I like that, that's a good shout. And Steve is a promising young track star, but is clearly questioning his place on the team. We learn that Sandy and Danny married after high school and had Steve, but began to drift apart. Because of course they fucking did. <laughs> Three years ago, Sandy returned to Australia when her father became ill. Is Sandy she... canon Australian in the films as well? Yeah. yeah. She is, isn't she? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They make a big thing about it. It's how her English cousins are like a thing. That's what I was thinking. Like, why is the cousin English? Like, hold on a minute. Have I misremembered that? But no, half that is right. the family were deported. The other half weren't. Because <laughs> <laughs> Americans can't tell Australian can't and British accents yeah, apart. They'll much. be cousins. It's like, sure. Mm, your cousin with this guy from Argentina. Whatever. To be right. fair, I've got cousins in Australia. So, you know, I've got family in Australia as well. So anyway, <laughs> three years ago, Sandy returned to Australia when her father became ill. And although she regularly calls Steve, Danny has not spoken to her since. It's the 90s and he's holding the grudge like a prick. Slash the 70s and he's holding the grudge like a prick. Yep. As they separately move around the house, Danny and Steve sing what's best for him, with Danny expressing how he has to put all his energy into making sure Steve gets a track scholarship and gets into college, while Steve believes his dad is simply trying to overcompensate for Sandy having left and relive his glory days at high school. He's trying to live vicariously through his cool young son. Yep. Typical John Travolta. <laughs> <laughs> on Sunday, as Steve does chores in the front yard, we see a woman watching him from a nearby car. She's quickly revealed to be Sandy, who drives away before she's spotted and visits Rydell High School. There, she sings the best days of our life about her desire for things to be simple again, like they were during her time at high school. Oh, I feel like people who peak in fucking high school. Afterwards, she drives to Rizzo and Kaneki's house where she is secretly staying. We find out she returns to the US two weeks ago and is building up the courage to speak to Danny again. Kaniki asks her how much longer they will have to keep her presence secret for, but Rizzo tells them to shut up and support their friend. On the first day of school, Steve and his friends are in Mr. Felsnick's math class. Ha -ha. That's where the nerd is. Teaching math like a nerd. Yep. Uh, when a new student enters, the girl who Steve saw getting off the bus. She is introduced as Dina Colvin, a transfer student from Oregon who had just moved to live with her aunt in Rydell. The students quickly begin to gossip about her, with the frosty Renee quickly dismissing her as a weirdo with her strange clothing. Nice. Classic teenage drama. <laughs> uh, do we have established where Rydell is? Is it it's California, isn't it? I'm assuming it's California because yeah, I think that's, it is, yeah. it was all shot in California. That's what I, that's my, my logic as well, yeah. With New York accents. And Australians. Because and Australians. Yeah. At lunch, various students either try to get Dina to sit with them or make it clear she is not welcome to sit with them. Singing, Who Does She Think She Is? It's a good Grease song name. Classic Grease song name right there, Tim. But the hustle and bustle freezes when Dina herself begins to sing Just a Moment, expressing how overwhelmed she feels in the new situation and hanging on to the idea of being able to play her guitar when she gets home. Well, how they were introducing a musician. It's a nice little twist on the musical... Side of things. After Dina finally takes a seat by herself at the edge of the cafeteria, a jock goes to throw a juice box at her head, but Steve manages to catch it out of the air. The fucking runner that he is. I fucking Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As the students groan in disappointment because they wanted to see someone die, 
Steve and Dina. That wasn't that wasn't in the script. Steve and it was, Dina. It was a frozen juice box. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> with a grenade in it. Like a fucking seventies arms going on. Um, with Steve and Dina share a brief moment witnessed by a none too pleased Renee. And Ooh. Dina starts playing "Fortunate Son" by Creedence Clearwater. <laughs> 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 yeah. After school, Steve has track practice. Danny, in his role as coach, pushes him hard to improve. Danny sings Unstoppable, which begins as a power ballad driving Steve to succeed, but transforms into Danny looking back at his relationship with Sandy and wondering where it all went wrong. Afterwards, a melancholy Danny meets up with Kanicki for a drink. Visiting a burger joint, Steve encounters Dina playing guitar outside. As I mentioned, she's playing Fortunate Son by Creedence Clearwater Revival. Obviously. I want to jump in here. I say burger joint all the time, and I get in trouble. Like, like I got mocked at my uh, workplace back when I was in the, you know, in the office for saying burger joint. Fuck people. I, I, I would, cool. I would mock you for that. Man. Fuck you yeah. then. Fuck you all. <laughs> Tim wrote it down, and I would say it. This is set in America, Matthew. You live in fucking Norwich. Fair. <laughs> but also, you're a vegetarian. You wouldn't know. Carry on. That, that's absolutely true. Yeah. Veggie burgers, famously, not a thing. Not a thing. They're not a burger joint, they're not. Carry on. Visiting a burger restaurant. No. You dick. <laughs> Visiting a burger joint, Steve encounters Dina playing guitar outside. The two talk and quickly connect. Steve compliments the song Dina had written. Fortunate son by Cleveland. <laughs> and when he opens up about doubting his place on the track team, she encourages him to follow his heart. The two sing... Someone to light the way. Again, very Greece type let him like it. Mm. Expressing their worries about the future and the reassurance they get from someone else feeling the same way. But the moment is interrupted when Renee and the rest of Steve's friends arrive and he departs with them. I can't get my head to the hole. Um, you should follow your heart. I mean, they sing a song about it. Some Around. folks are born to wave a flag. Around. Yeah, they're red, white, and blue. When the point of the hey, hold the chief. Born in Canada, you lord. Okay, right, sorry. A little. A few days later, Steve is leaving school when Sandy appears. Sandy! Delighted to be reunited with his mother, I assume he says it the same way his dad does. Steve asks, he doesn't even say mum. Steve asks yeah, if she's coming home. Thing. But she tells him things are complicated and she's not sure it's what's best for everyone. Mate. Crestfallen, Steve asks why things can't go back to the way they were. And Sandy replies that she wished that she could because, you know, she sang a song about it earlier and sings a new song called It's Complicated. By Avril Lavigne. By Avril Lavigne. She, she asks him not to let Danny know that she has returned and promises that she still loves him very much. That's a worrying sentence, Tim. Not just that she loves him very much. I promise you I love you. <laughs> I don't believe you, Mum. Good, mate. I died. <laughs> I fucking hate you. <laughs> Rydell High's homecoming dance arrives, and Steve and his friends attend it together. Dina arrives, but she's confronted by Renee, who warns her away from trying to steal Steve, singing the song Never Be Yours and ruining Dina's dress. Mm. Oh, shit. shit. Dina departs the high school and encounters November, an older girl dressed in punk style, who invites Dina to jam with her band, having yeah. seen her busking earlier. That's the Gwen Stefani cool cameo moment. She rocks up with <laughs> the cool punk chick. That's awesome. Tank girl. At the dance, Danny continues to put pressure on Steve to excel and be a leader. Steve learns from Arlo about Renee's encounter with Dina, and he grows increasingly frustrated with people trying to control his choices. At November's house, Dina's own frustration comes out as she plays with the band, and she and Steve both sing Runaway Train, 
a cathartically angry number, like you go and punk <laughs> on their ass. Tim, I like it. As the crowd at homecoming dances along. At the end of the song, Steve breaks up with Renee, oh my God, and tells his father he's quitting the track team. Fucking hell, Steve. Danny chases after Steve. He was also a track runner. This will be interesting. <laughs> Both of them running. <laughs> Turns into a Tom Cruise film. <laughs> Scientology. Um, <laughs> Scientologists. Oh boy, can they run. Danny chases after Steve, demanding an explanation, but is met by Sandy, <gasps> shit, who is finally ready to talk to him. The two hash out their problems in a song, The Life We Had. Revealing that Sandy felt constrained by the marriage and that Danny had lost the rebellious streak that first drew her to him. Yeah, that's people getting older, isn't it? Danny, meanwhile, feels like Sandy had abandoned the responsibilities she had always told him to be needed to embrace. Clearly still in love, but unable to overcome the problems, the two depart. I like already this, Tim, this whole idea. Mm. Oh, I'm going to change for you. I'm going to try Very to mature. That. Yeah, that, yeah. that makes sense. It's like a natural evolution of that. Um, yeah, I like that. I like you bringing this up. How very logical, Tim. I like it. Steve races to Dina's aunt's house, finding her as she returns from her night with November and the band. He tells her about leaving Renee and the track team. And while she is thrilled the two have an opportunity to date, she asks if he really doesn't want to run anymore or if he's just sick of being under his father's thumb. She explains how her love for music keeps her going even when things are hard, singing The Music's Always There. And Steve realises he needs to find a middle ground between meeting his father's high standards and quitting altogether. Sandy arrives back at Rizzo and Kanicki's house, upset after argument with Danny. She bemoans to Rizzo and a visiting Frenchie that she wishes life could be simple like it was in high school, but Rizzo takes her to task, reminding her that high school was just as complicated. Brilliant. It's that classic thing of like, oh, these are the best years of your life. Like, Get fuck the fucking not. <laughs> Rizzo tells Sandy not to look at the past through rose-tinted glasses. Shots fired at Greece two apologists. <laughs> And accept that life and love are complex. She and Frenchie sing Wake Up Call and Sandy realises she needs to stop running away from Danny and Steve no matter how complicated things get. At Rideau High, Danny realises that just like with Sandy, he has placed too many expectations on Steve and sings Rebel No More, which I'm really kind of assuming is a 50s song. It's a sort of rock I'm, yeah, I'm imagining out, this is, the most out this is him like throwing back to the 50s thing i imagine he's like his old jacket on wearing the jacket but like it doesn't <laughs> quite fit anymore and all this kind of stuff yeah. Like, yeah yeah definitely about how he's forgotten what it means to be a teenager vowing to change he calls up kaneki asking for a favor sandy and steve with dina in tow both head back to rydell high to apologize to danny and find each other but not him unsure where he's gone their attention is drawn by the honk of a car horn as Danny, Kanicki, Rizzo, and Frenchie arrive in Grease Lightning! Oh, so glad man got to know that line. <laughs> Danny and Sandy race into each other's arms and begin to apologise for their stubbornness, promising to work on their problems together. Inside, Dina, November, and the rest of the band take to the stage and play a heavier, punkier version of The Music's Always There, and the dance spills out into the car park, where Danny, Sandy, and the other adults join in. As the song ends, Steve and Dina kiss... And Danny and Sandy lead the whole group in a reprisal of We Go Together. Nice. Mm. Then I all like of the cars across Earth take off into the sky. <laughs> they all Just like Fast and Furious. <laughs> and out of the darkness, Ian McKellen says, You can't win, Charles. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
I now want. We are the future, Charles, not them. <laughs> They're singing and dancing is all nonsense and folly. They don't know the true war within our hearts. Mutants! <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, I like it, Tim. I think it's solid. <gasps> I have some small notes. Not enough yeah. Australians. <laughs> I didn't see nine uses of the C word, the F word, <laughs> and the K word. Oh, yeah. I, I forgot to say, the there's K a lot word. of swearing in this film. A kangaroo. Oh. <laughs> Um, oh. No, yes, I was going to say, yes. Again, Australians, I'm so sorry, but it's very funny. Um, Everybody's always comparing knife sizes. Yes, that's all I asked for. Right, so um, I, I think that t tonally speaking, it's it's kind of both darker and yet not than the original Grease, which is nice, but I think the, the songs will probably lift it up. It will feel like the same way, like, oh my God, there was a like, you know, teenage pregnancy in, in Greece. Yeah, 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 but songs it's not as bad yeah, come on sing along that kind of thing i think that's fine there's no problem with that at all um i like the whole new wave of kids joan jet kind of angle that that sort of like rebellious teenaging that's fine i think this is very much the adult story more than the kids story i think they take a back seat but they're still there and they but that's not because they're not developed because i think they, they work fine um I'm, I'm curious if rizzo and kaneki have kids after the whole like the pregnancy i'll hang around with the kid thing or not i feel <laughs> like there's an interesting story that it might not be there but that's not the thing i'm gonna talk about the thing i have is i really like that you've done the appropriate high school dynamics i mentioned in about greece one in that the idea that teen life happens at school rather than solely dictated by school however i in my head while listening to this pitch and the 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 the, the politics of the situation between the family members all this stuff is really nice the, the the drifting between sandy and danny is really good great i feel there needs to be a huge injection of 70s in this um because in my head i'm seeing the 50s still um, okay. And that's not a bad thing. That's just because I'm hearing like Zuko and Sandy and, uh, yeah. <laughs> and even the whole like, you know, him going back and doing his fucking coming up in this old fucking 50s car in 78 should look embarrassing and cool at the same time. And I think that there's a lot. And as I said, for, for like certain age of high school students and stuff, I mean, there's a whole possibility these people have been serving in Vietnam. There's I, I think there's a big cultural thing that's happening here that uh, for example, like the end of Boogie Nights, for example, Cro well, not the end of Boogie, Boogie Nights in general, sorry, um, entirely different film, obviously, but it kind of sort of categorizes or, or, or captures where it's like post at the end 70s going into the 80s, very different industries and things like that. I think just that injection of that personality, I don't think the story needs to change, by the way, to do that. The story is mm. fine. It's it's just the backdrop needs to just, I think, push a bit more emphasis on what life in the 70s is like in the same way that in Greece, Life in the 50s is very simple. It's very much mm. just like, yeah, 50s, but it's produced that fantasy of the 50s. I think you need a bit of that fantasy of the 70s a little bit to keep it grounded into the whole thing rather than just mm. 50s part two. In the same way that for certain people in a certain sect of America, the, 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 was it the, the, the 60s weren't a thing. It was the 50s. And if you had like a Mad Men style father, you were yeah. still in the 50s and the 60s. And then suddenly the 70s happened. It was like, what the <laughs> fuck is this? You had the overbearing yeah. presence there. So I, th I think... For me personally, I just want a big aesthetic push. I know it's not really yeah. something to write down. That's more just something I want to see in that world building. Yeah, I think it's it's tricky to get that across. Of course, of course. There's probably things things I could throw in there. People should probably, everyone should be smoking a bit more weed. Yeah, a bit um, more fortunate, son. Yeah, I think music obviously would be a big part of it. That's the um, thing, yeah. 
And the style of those it, songs shifting we, from the kind of yeah. oh, wheeler, wheeler, wheeler to something <laughs> yeah. a bit more seventies makes a yeah would help it's, really it's, yeah. solidify that tone. I think we joked a lot about Fortunate Son, but it <laughs> would I, I I picture this being almost like a a, a rock opera type thing. Okay, yeah, where yeah. It's like I say, I've got the people from Heart doing the music. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. There's the influence of punk kind of coming in. Originally, I was going to have Dina be from New York, but finally, an accent that makes sense. <laughs> Oregon works. Uh, Oregon works. It's a, yeah. It's a it's a cluster of of wood people. <laughs> so you have that. I mean, um, it's, it's the classic. It's like you know, Northwest. Especially considering in the nineties, you get the whole idea about grunge from Seattle. I know that's the state yeah. up in Washington, but the same sort of era, same sort of place. Mm. I get it. And also, let's face it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I get it. Yeah. That. And 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 having November be someone who is, even if she's not from New York, has kind of tapped into the, the fact that that is happening there and starting to happen, you know, yeah. elsewhere, and 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 representing that new subculture that's coming forward. The thing that I kind of had in my brain mm. uh, as I was doing this that I almost wanted this to be kind of uh, from the teenage point of view, dazed and confused the musical. Oh wow! Okay. Uh, uh, which mm-hmm. is obviously a film that's set around the same period, um, yeah, 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 and deals with with kind of teenage life. And I've kind of taken the athlete mm. wondering if mm. this is kind yeah. of really for yeah. him, kind of subplot from there. For people um, listening who might not know, uh, it was released five or six years before this film that Tim's making, and also is that all right, all right, all right. That's yes. what people know this for now. But yes, it's my favorite film. Yeah, I can I can understand why. To be honest, that's a your favorite yeah. film. Full stop. Yeah, I think that's wow. Just right, yeah. It's a great film, to be fair. Everyone's in it. Mm. Yeah, and and that I had in kind of mind, and 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 also stuff like almost famous. Um, yeah, yeah, kind of mm. mu- musically for how I want would want mm. this kind of thing to sound. Like I I was almost tempted to make it a jukebox musical, mm. um, and sure. go through and and pick out songs from that period and have them in the place. But I was like, a rock of ages. No, kind of I think yeah. I think. For it to work, it needs original music, and it needs. I, I agree. I think I agree. if you follow up Greece with essentially pop songs and pop rock songs that mm. already exist, people would not be happy because the yeah. first one is so built on those. As you said, Tim, they sing their feelings at each other. Yeah. <laughs> like they are the titles of the yeah. songs and the lyrics of the songs, I, I mean, and th- the music is structured in that way where it's literally the characters. Mm. I don't know how to express myself, so therefore. I'm singing at you, like yeah. <laughs> mm. I think I think Greece is a lot of the songs are closer to being pop songs than say like a Sondheim musical. Oh type yeah, song. that's very yeah. true. But true. but I think they still have that musical energy to them where they have they're trying to move. Some we've, of we've had parts pop of songs moving the reference and mm. steal from Greece songs. Like yes. there was that um One Direction song that has that dunk dunk dunk. at the beginning and everybody was like hold on a minute are they covering (laughs) summer loving and they were like nope but yes we we do have to credit the writers of this unfortunately yeah yeah yeah. i think i see a bit of um maybe not with dean maybe maybe more with november kind of stuff but i think i very much see the um the runaways you know the Mm. Joan Jett and, and stuff that kind of era that 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 rebellious yeah. yeah kind of kind of building up to we're building something aggressive and young and and vocal. There was a film actually, The Runways, which actually wasn't awful with um, Kristen Stewart and uh, Dakota Fanning and Michael yes. Shannon, who who Jack hates. Um, I think it's all right, and I think that again visually, that's what I'm seeing in my head, and I think I can make mm. that make that work. Again, the beats of the story 
I think follow up on things very well. As I said, the idea of you met in high school and you spent a weird summer together and a one year of school together and you kind of changed who you were or thought you were. Of course, it was going to kind of fizzle and go and you have to really work at this. And especially if one of you is looking back at high school saying that was the best day of my life. It's like, was it? I mean, that's <laughs> sad. Um, you have a child <laughs> and, um, and all that, so that. I think that's very mature and that's a good, it's a good story. And also for people watching who are new in the 90s going, yeah, this is great. I mean, I remember relating to this, you know, young ca uh, casting and the old one saying, oh shit, yeah, I remember that. I think you've tapped in that market quite well. I see the only thing I think would be need to be addressed or developed would be Rizzo and Kaniki if they're the exact same age and they're still living together and still a couple. Mm. The fact that pregnancy was a huge thing in the first one. Do they have kids? Do they choose not to have kids? Can't they have kids? All I was about to say, yeah, maybe you use that to have, again, not necessarily like a... a heavy-handed discussion but an, 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 a mature touchstone yeah. a mature mm. touch to it yeah exactly talk about maybe one of them is infertile or something like that mm. or uh, unable yeah. to have kids for whatever reason and again it's one of those subjects that isn't particularly addressed on film like mm. yeah how many couples do you see they're like oh yeah when they finally get together and they have the kid or they have kids or whatever it is very rarely do you get a couple on the fact that, like you said, Matt, you kind of sowed the seeds there in the original of like, oh, we had this pregnancy scare and actually it didn't happen. If you then use that and expand upon that into something a bit more mature and bring a, like we said, similar to, to Dirty Dancing or however you want to do it, this kind of B-plot interesting little layer to it that I think would add... Bits. And essentially that that's what I felt were what I felt was missing. But again, it's the pitch format that we're often stuck with. You kind of have to this is true. you lose mm. B plot stuff and, and all this kind of, you know, extra layers that you would totally mm. have if you were producing a full film script and <laughs> producing a full movie and all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. It was little bits like that. And I think you're totally right, Matt. Having a bigger 70s influence again is something that i would want to see in that film but it's something you can't convey in the pitch so we yeah. again we're kind of yeah. we're kind of stuck there but there were moments like we were saying there's clearly moments and i said at the time that like, i can totally see john travolta trying to fit into his old jacket and do that thing and it was a really visually it was very easy to visualize the moments and some of the songs and stuff like automatically started playing in my head if that makes sense which i think is a huge compliment to how you've written it and how you structured it yeah i mean i i there's definitely parts where I was like, I, we haven't really kind of fleshed out um, Steve's friends um, or like Renee's kind of mm. uh, to her two kind of accompanying friends. They would probably be a chance for a bit more comedy, but also kind of ground it more in the 70s. Because obviously, as young people, they're much more invested in what is going on at the very yes, moment. Yes, of course. Of so course. You, they're, they're a good chance. Whereas the, the adults are probably still... Pining for the fifties, yeah, acting like it's the sixties kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, um, I, I, I did. I like. I really liked the idea of having Rizzo and Kaniki as the more mature couple who had stayed together and actually worked really well. That's yeah, I and, definitely think that they work. They're working through trouble because of their past. Makes complete sense. Yeah, um, but I hadn't. I hadn't kind of settled on whether they would have kids or not have kids, and whether that was mm. discussed. I'm kind of wary of. Like obviously we talked about how like 
Greece is just such a kind of fantasy where the, even the, the problems aren't really problems, whereas this has a bit more of the kind of like, no, you are a couple now and you have to like deal with shit and come to compromises. Yeah. Not not just I'm going to dress up kind of slutty for you and you're going to become a track star, mm. um, but like actual compromises of like, yeah. where do we want our life to go? And also we have a child and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I was wary of weighing it too down with reality stuff mm-hmm. and robbing it of the kind of the yeah i think you've got to find that balance yeah. Yeah. Fine line, yeah. I get that. I agree. um but yeah i i can i can see it it needs it's tricky when you when you're constantly talking about like danny and sandy to picture it being 70s in a different yeah. era but hopefully and i think I'd be interested to see the stylized version of the seventies that Baz Luhrmann would create. That's the thing. I think I think Luhrmann would create a very unique version of it. And again, probably like the version that takes place in the Greece universe rather than the actual seventies mm. in a weird way. Um, yeah. In the same way that let's face it, Greece is not the actual fifties. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I. I. Again, as I said, I. I really like the story. I really like what goes as mature. I think you're right with. And we always we always talk about the the the, the limitations of the pitch. Because again, my thought is like, oh, it's more, it's more the adult story. It's like, well, no, you're right, mate. It's kind of 50-50. It's just more the fact that because, as you say, the friends being developed, you'd have more of that kind of connection. And, and, and mm-hmm. it also then pushes the uh, adults into stark contrast because it suddenly becomes a couple of couples who kind of like each other and kind of get on with things as opposed to this really tight... No, and it's not true in terms of... People say like, oh, the friends you made when you're teenagers, say friends for life. It's like, not always. Mm-hmm. But when you're a teenager... The, the, the literally the way your mind is wired that core group dynamic is vitally important and the fact that mm. it falls away when you're an adult and it's like oh just people down the road they're like your friends and not and that, that 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 is really interesting and i think that's i think there's so many mm. things that are going to be there in the background which i think are going to come out perfectly in the lyrics of the songs that mm. is the other tricky yeah, thing yeah. because i mean much like we go like they fight it's a good action scene yeah, or like yeah. it's a comedy scene the, the, the jokes funny. and the dialogue are funny it's like the jokes are funny the songs are better they're better than greece too yeah yeah and they're also better integrated into the plot than yeah. greece <laughs> yeah, we're getting more nuance about the characters more nuance about their experience their feelings mm. it'll be just better songs in general and you'll learn about some reproduction. reproduction yeah like i i run think, to the jungle oh. like <laughs> hopefully in in the pitch like it gets across that most of the songs are about like internal and like emotional life of the characters rather than just being like hello today we're having a lesson on sex education so we're going to sing a song about that today we're going bowling we're going to score 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 i'm gonna finger you in the bowling alley (laughs) (laughs) Uh, say hold a bowling ball right (laughs) you had to hold you had to put your fingers inside not my nails. I think that's the line in the film, isn't it? It She's, is indeed. I'm treating her for a disease. Isn't that what he says? Nymphitis. It's like, oh, fucking. I'm ch- I've just tried. I'm sorry. I'm actively horrible. engaged in wiping can, all of the dialogue from stick... Greece 2 out of my brain. <laughs> can we stick to the good sequel, yes, please? Sorry, no, sorry. Not, not, not retreading not retread the, the, um, the trauma. This Greece is good. I only. You got Matt's approval, Tim. The one you were worried about. I'm fine. I'm yeah. easily pleased. I'm <laughs> is fine. the opening title sequel? Tim, you got to worry about. Um. I don't know if it would be Anna. And sung by Jim Broadway. <laughs> <laughs> it smells like Teen Spirit. No, I think it would be it would be more because I'd want to root it root it in the reality of the original, which you know. Mm. But like it would be actual like you see the, the, the yearbook at the end of Greece and I would try see, and see. I stick like close yes, I like that. that but to, it was it was good. It was a good shout. To yeah. establish the connection. Yeah. 
because I, um, I feel like Lerman's going to do some wacky CGI shit in there somewhere. Not because he does CGI, although it's 1998, everyone was trying, but because Greece opens very iconically with this really, let's face it, a very, the, a very 70s cartoon opening. Yes. Nothing 50s at all about that shit. No. Um, and Greece 2 this... starts with just this logo on a floor as feet are dancing. Like, oh. <laughs> this this mm. opens with animation from the team who did reboot on TV. <laughs> <gasps> yes. Uh, now it's all seen by the nineties. No, that's cool. It's yeah. cool, Tim. I like it. I approve. I think you've done a good job. Minor tweaks, bang it out. I think. I think is most important. I think this would be a huge success. I think this would really Agreed. hit home yep. with nostalgia, with people. With the twenty-year yeah, cycle is perfectly timed. Absolutely. I think people would really enjoy it. I think you've done a good job. And then we do Greece three. Three would have happened in twenty eighteen. Twenty eighteen. Uh, and Joaquin <laughs> Phoenix is playing effectively his character from Joker. <laughs> he still does the singing and the dancing, which is a lot more yeah, depressive, smoking and staring into mirrors. Which is something. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. Ooh, I can't believe they use Gary Glitter in that. Okay. Anyway, well done, Tim. That is a vast improvement on Grease Two because we stand by the fact that Grease Two is a piece of shit. Yes. Don't you dare come at us, you nostalgia nerds. If you're one of those people Not the calling, nostalgia nerd. calling for it to be re-examined, you need to exactly. actually examine that film. And Yeah, exactly. When I flush a turd, opinion. it stays in the toilet. I don't, like, it goes through the pipe and it's gone. I'm not going to re-examine it. Oh, what can I learn from it? <laughs> Nothing. Exactly, exactly. But if you have feedback and suggestions and questions and all that kind of stuff, listeners, you can contact us on social media. We are Sequelizers on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, you can check out our Discord. You can contact us through Patreon. You can even fill out a contact form and send us an email on our website, which is sequelizers.com. And the website is also the hub for all of the things I just mentioned. You can find links to all the social media. You can find links to our shop and our merch and links to the Discord and all that good stuff as well. I did a little tweak in the other day. There's now a few new ways to browse the shop and stuff. The website is all up to date and looking lovely. Uh, we actually had a complaint that the uh, contrast of the text wasn't high enough, so I've sorted out accessibility issues. So if we do have any visually impaired listeners out there, you can now use our website using a higher contrast mode, and it all works very nicely, and you can browse the shop and all that kind of stuff as well. If you'd like to contact me on social media, I am JLW Chambers on pretty much everything, usually tweeting about wrestling and movies and comics and video games and stuff come and let me know your opinions on things i'm sure we will argue about stuff such as the internet matt if people want to argue with you on the internet how can they do that stogs s-t-o-g-h-z on the social medias um let's keep up recently so uh you can go to cheeseme.com and see the things that i make but the red right hand uk where i make my reviews i write my reviews and i leave them i have been writing or at least making notes for tons of reviews over the last six months. I have published almost none of them. I think I got two reviews Ooh, on my site. Building a backlog. Yeah, partly, but also because, and I've mentioned this last year as well, there is a bit of a critical mindset of responsibility. And I, 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 I there are things I'm watching, like, oh, I really enjoyed In the Heights. I'll write my review for that. I was like, some people can only watch that by going to the cinema. Some people are not comfortable going to the cinema right now because of what's going on with pandemics and... Uh, vaccinations so i'm actually withholding reviews 
at present mm. until I mean I might start getting better now but you know some, it sounds really also this is a great film and then someone thinks well I'll make the effort because Matt said to go and it sounds like I'm being and really then they get COVID yeah and it sounds really I'm being really arrogant but so you can go there but if you're thinking oh it's not been updated in like six months it's like yeah no. Um, I know I did actually go on there after I saw In the Heights and thought I wonder what Matt review is like of this matt so. likes it a lot matt thinks it's a great summer film and matt uh, has a long review ready to go to him i'll say i'll share it with you soon um <laughs> speaking of musicals tim if i were to pick you up in a car made from the 50s called grease lightning would you hop in the back or would you sit up front with me <laughs> and where can we I... find you on the internet I would go where I was, where I belong, which is in the boot <laughs> or the trunk for American which listeners. Which is twitter.com slash which trivia is, yeah, underscore left. The, the boot of the internet, uh, <laughs> Twitter, twitter.com, Twitter uh, and go to trivia underscore lad. That is me on the internet, uh, where I will share anything that I've been up to uh, that's interesting, like uh, writing occasionally for comic sites, um, uh, or it will just be where I'm sharing memes or something but uh either way hopefully that will entertain people who want it we're all full we're of so apart. tired we are we're tired and thank you very much for listening everybody we very much appreciate it if you can like i said join us on patreon please do we are patreon.com slash sequelizers if you can give us a review on apple podcasts google podcasts stitcher spotify all that good stuff it really really helps us reach new listeners and expand the horizons of the sequelizers empire but until next week i'll leave you with this little tease i can't imagine there's gonna be a connection between this sequel and next week's sequel i could be wrong I know there are certain musical people. There are certain musical people. People have been in musicals who are going to be in the film that we're fixing next week. But it is something very, very different. Have you guys thought I've, about a connection? I've got one. Tease it, Matthew. Tease this, it. Tease Gre- right Grease now. 2 made me want to pull my own fucking eyes out. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next week. Shangalangalang. Fucking whatever.